If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Back to where it all started. All started for Austin Lane in 2010. The NFL career started here at the Senior Bowl. Back to where it all started for Gardner Minshew last yeah. year. We found Gardner Minshew. We talked to Gardner Minshew. Do we get credit for Gardner Minshew? I hope so. I mean, I'm going to take a little bit. That's what we do. I interviewed him. Come on. We take credit for everything. Absolutely. Now, did, did I tell the Jaguar scouts that there's something about this kid? I may have maybe dropped a hint, but I'm not saying I did, though, either. Let's just say you have a voice. Yeah. And man. you might have used it when I it comes to uh, Gardner Minshew. And kind of back to where it all started for us, even. Sure. As we are coming off our year celebration. Uh, that was a lot of fun on Friday. But, you know, like show number six for Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 was right here. Yeah. It's the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Brett Martin, Austin Lane, Marcel Robinson here as well. Welcome aboard. Uh, to uh, the video platforms on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and everybody listening in the car and on ESPN690.com and all the various uh, platforms. We've got a Super Bowl set, Super Bowl 54. And by the way, a week from today, we'll be in Miami on Radio Row for Super Bowl 54. What do you think, Chiefs? 49ers, just like we predicted. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you some credit, though. You did have the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl when the playoffs started, so I'm going to give you props there. Yeah, my second go-around. Your second go-around. didn't work out so well. My, my second go-around, I opted for the Saints and the Ravens, and we know how that turned out for everybody. But listen, the, 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 the same story's been uh, for the Chiefs where they've made mistakes in the first half, but they have so much firepower where they can get away with it. You know, whether it's the, it's the mental mistakes, whether it's the penalties, they overcome them. They have tra- guys like Travis Kelsey, who wasn't even really even that big of a factor, but guys like Tyreek Hill, obviously Patrick Mahomes at the helm, man. And give give Tennessee some credit in the first half. You know, I, I thought they established the ground game pretty well. It looked like, well, here we go again, Derrick Henry, another 200-yard game, just like the doctor ordered. But after that first half, there were some adjustments made, and the Titans could not get going after the first half. Well, listen, it was the better team won. Simple Correct. as that. And it was the case in San Francisco, too, against Green Bay. The better team won. I mean, they walloped San Fran two games this, this year. That's not a mistake. They're a better football team. Give credit to Kyle Shanahan. Give credit to Mustard and that, that running attack. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo throws it eight times. He'll have to do more than that against the Kansas City Chiefs. We think. Yeah. <laughs> we think he'll have to throw for more than eight. So I think we have a fantastic matchup in the Super Bowl. Kind of a dud championship Sunday in the NFL. I didn't think these games were highly entertaining. They were just okay. First of all, Tennessee's never going to be that highly entertaining because they want to kind of muddy it up. Um, and, you know, even Kansas City had these long drives. It wasn't this quick strike stuff until the final touchdown. And then San Francisco was just too good. So that thing, everybody kind of flipped off at halftime, uh, at least around here, unless you were a big fan of the San Francisco 49ers. So anyway, maybe that means a big-time Super Bowl, because last year we had an unbelievable championship Sunday with those two football games, and we ended up with somewhat of a boring Super Bowl with the Patriots beating the Rams 13-3. to so maybe Miami will be uh, one heck of a Super Bowl. Looking forward to it in a couple weeks. I do think that if you could look at all the teams in the NFL this year, this doesn't always play out this way in the Super Bowl especially. It plays out this way a lot in college football, that the two best teams or two teams that you really feel are the best that end up meeting 
you know, if, if Ohio State had been there instead of Clemson, you would have been okay with it. But some form of Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU needed to be in that championship game to make it feel like it felt Correct. all year. Yep. Well, I think it kind of felt like that in the NFL this year. I think San Francisco felt like one of the premier teams all season long. I think Kansas City feels like one of the premier teams, especially in the second half of the year. They, they kind of became who we thought they might be. Well, and, and to me, they always were, but it was the fact that Patrick Mahomes got hurt, got right? Hurt. And, and then all of a sudden, they kind of got swept underneath the rug a little bit because all of a sudden, here comes this uh, new kid on the block in the Baltimore Ravens, you know, and that, that was kind of the, the sexy pick and everything like that. But then Baltimore goes down, and Kansas City kind of reminds you of, you know what, we're the real deal. We've been the real deal for a while. Well, they did lose three straight games at home, too, so that yeah. made a lot of people wonder, wait a minute, three straight games at home. But you're right. You mentioned the Baltimore Ravens. I think the New Orleans Saints go in that category too that if one of those two teams or both of those teams had made the Super Bowl you'd feel the same way but there are four teams in my opinion that were like hey these teams are really good you wonder if they're better than everybody else it was the Saints the Niners it was the Chiefs and the Ravens to me Mm -hmm. and two of those teams are in the Super Bowl so it feels like we've got two of the best premier teams that have been playing in 2019 playing for all the marbles uh, in 2020 we're going to talk about the game obviously a lot over a couple weeks but let's just say quick thought on the game do you think it's high scoring low scoring scoring you like the Chiefs the Niners you got two weeks to change your mind yeah absolutely so from where I sit right now like we talked about before Brent the 49ers can beat you in a variety of ways but I think we look at the Kansas City Chiefs they're that high octane offense and anytime you give Andy Reid more than a week to prepare I want to say I think he's 12 and 3 right now in regular season games or playoff games after a bye right so if you sit the first round of the playoffs or if you have the bye week in the regular season so you cannot underestimate Andy Reid and his ability to game plan for the 49ers so right now I'm leaning towards the Chiefs a little more but like you said I think it's going to be a high scoring game because the the 49ers they have shown the ability to have those high scoring games especially against the Saints this past year all right uh, so we'll talk more about the, that game and what it means well it's got a lot to talk about Conor McGregor fight. Yeah. Wow, you said second round. You thought McGregor. How Surprised that, me, man? man. Yeah, absolutely insane. You know, and, and it's funny because people want to say, well, did Cerrone take a dive? And, and, and that was kind of the trending thing after that fight. I encourage anybody to think if Donald Cerrone took a dive, go ahead and jam your nose into a wall, break it, and then see how good you can see. You know, and, and just see how, how your senses are, are, are keened in or not. Because that's exactly what happened to Donald Cerrone. And we heard Conor McGregor kind of talk about it a little bit. He's working on some new things. He's working on some new things. Well, if you go back to Donald Cerrone's fights, especially the one that sticks out to me is a guy by the name of Mike Perry that he fought. Mike Perry is a straight-up brawler. He's got powerful shots, does not like to grapple. Donald Cerrone tripped Mike Perry because he's, you know, Donald Cerrone's been doing it for a while, so he got him in the clinch and tripped Mike Perry. Conor McGregor saw this and said, you know what, he might want to clinch me up, we got to counter that, and that's exactly what he did with those shoulder blows to the face. Once he did that, nose was broken, or nose was at least discombobulated, let's say. Donald Cerrone was kind of on, you know, on Queer Street, as they say, and he ended up getting knocked out. Uh, Let's see, uh, (laughs) let's see what... That does for McGregor now going forward because you said what's the what's the match what's the matchup everybody wants to see? So, in my, my opinion personally, it's Conor McGregor versus Jorge Masvidal, you know, because it's very rare in the UFC where you get the, the most popular fighter in Conor McGregor taking on the second most popular fighter in Jorge Masvidal, and to me. That fight can't lose. It's almost like Nate Diaz on steroids because Jorge Masvidal is that Nate Diaz type. But according to Dana White right now, it's looking more like it's going to be Khabib again for for the rematch. Yeah, Yeah. and obviously for a belt. For, for the belt, exactly. You know, and I think that's kind of where Connor's ego gets in the way a little bit because he wants to retain that belt that he lost. But at the same time, I mean, 
this is the prize fighting game. And to me, what makes you more successful is how much money you can garner. And to me, the, the cash money fight is definitely against Jorge Masvidal for Conor McGregor. And obviously, too, this is like, you know, McGregor kind of runs the show a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's the star. Yeah. So, I mean, he's almost got a little bit more leverage than Dana White. Yeah. At As, this point, well, you know? <laughs> without a doubt. And listen, don't get it or, twisted. I say leverage, but say, yeah. it feels like. Well, it. and don't get it twisted, Brent, because like, the thing with this Cowboy Cerrone, uh, Conor McGregor fight, Cerrone could have, I mean, he did lose, obviously, but his stock doesn't go down at all. Like, people are going to always sign up to see Cowboy Cerrone because the guy fights anytime, any place, anywhere. Conor McGregor had all the pressure on him in this fight because. If you would have lost this one, you lose some of that luster. So props to Conor McGregor. L- looked to be in great shape. You know, 170 is a fairly new weight class to him. I thought he came in in great shape. He looked calm and collected. Usually Conor McGregor is the guy that's kind of causing these antics in the cage and getting his opponent's head. You saw a little more humble, calm and collected Conor McGregor, um, which is kind of a personality change. I'm sure with everything he's been through, he's got to change that up a little bit. But overall, I thought he did a great job. All right. Uh, talk a little bit more about that uh, down the road uh, in, in this show and, and coming off a big weekend everybody was keyed in on that one and it was a quickie um and i got a thought on that too a lot of people like oh man wasted money or uh so fast no drama whatever i i got a different take on on the the quick fights uh both in boxing and and in this instance in uh mma but let's talk more football some college football because well these are all college football guys coming into the nfl you know joe burrow was invited here did not accept the invitation wants to spend time with the family He's no doubt the number one pick, right? Without a doubt. Like Without a doubt. No doubt. Without a doubt. There was some talk over the weekend that I, I think some reports, or at least uh, maybe it was Schefter, saying right now it looks like they're the clear-cut number one. They're going to hang on to that pick uh, with Cincinnati. But the Panthers are trying to make a run at that pick mm. with Matt Which Rule. makes sense. Very yeah. interesting. They could go all in. They've got a top-ten pick and maybe package something well, up. Especially the offensive coordinator, too, with those LSU ties. Obviously, yeah. Brady. So yeah. uh, the, are those just connection of dots or is that reality and by the way does it matter because it's cincinnati even going to give up anything because they have borough right now right in their grasp and they don't have to do anything and, and, and that's the biggest point brent is if you're cincinnati obviously you're a team that's in dire need of an overhaul and the overhaul starts at the quarterback position i understand where if you were to trade joe burrow you know for that pick basically yes you do get the the, the draft capital for years and years and years to come um you saw i think the rams had that right with uh uh, with Robert Griffin, if I'm not mistaken, were the Redskins traded or yeah, something along those lines? But then, and even Tennessee, when they traded, I think with uh, the Rams, uh, they, they showed that graphic uh, golf when they Correct. got golf. So, yeah, 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 we've seen it a couple times. We've seen it a couple times, but at the end of the day, if you think Joe Burrow is indeed one of like the once in a generational type of players. Um, then you do everything in your power to keep him, you know, especially because he is from the area too. So I mean, you got to put that in the check as well. So I think if you're the Bengals, you obviously, um, you know, you, you you hang on to that number one pick. But it, I guess it depends what they're offering. Yeah, and and here's the other side of it for me. Joe Burrow pretty much knows he's a number one pick no matter what. Whoever takes him is whatever, but he knows he's the top guy. I ask you in a little bit later on. Should he even do anything? The next couple months? Literally just sit at home, Joe. We talked about it uh, on our drive up. Yeah. Should he do anything? Forget about just the senior bowl. Should he do a combine? Should I'm he not do a let, pro day? If Should I'm Joe Burrow, an MRI machine is not even touching me. <laughs> I'm not even going to go in a tube, not because I'm claustrophobic, just because I'm, I'm the number one pick, <laughs> and I don't have to do it, man. If you're Joe Burrow, you just chill at home, man. You let your agent do all the work, and you just get ready to sign there when the Bengals pick you up. That's what I would do. Uh, all right. I don't think this is much of a topic, but Phillip Rivers moving to Florida, back near the family. He's from Alabama. Should we read a lot into it? Is he done? Does he want out of 
L.A.? It's an odd time to move the family if you might end up sticking well, around in L.A. I mean, to be fair, I think he sees the writing on the wall in L.A. I think he knows his time is done there. You know, Florida's an intriguing move, obviously. I know Tampa Bay might need a quarterback, but it's, it's all hearsay right now. Yeah, tax benefits aren't bad, too, in Florida. Tax benefits aren't bad at all, either. <laughs> Correct. For whatever that next deal's going to be. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. planning for retirement. Absolutely. Uh, perhaps. A little nest egg, <laughs> as if he needs it, for Phillip Rivers. All right, we're going to talk Senior Bowl. Who are we keeping an eye on? Who did the Jags get out of here last year? And by the way, we'll have some offensive coordinator talk, too. Who would be a good fit out of the names that are rumored? It's all next. We're live in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, never die is kind of their their thing. I mean, it's getting behind like this, tough on an old guy, but they did they did a nice job coming back and uh, you know again fired up, fired up to go to Miami. Need to get on a diet so I can fit in my clothes so we, we, we can go do our thing. But um, very proud, very proud of uh, everybody and the job that they did, the coaches and uh, the coordinators for the plan that they had. What is that thing that Andy Reid wants to do to fit into his clothes? <laughs> Is he going to South Beach? I guess so, man. You know, he has to go looking good on South Beach. That's where it's at, Brent. That's where it's I, happening. I would imagine we're basically at like a coaches convention here, right? Scouts oh, yeah. and coaches yeah. and, and everybody around the NFL. We're live at the Senior Bowl, everybody. Welcome back, Brent Martin, Austin Lane. Happy Martin Luther King Day as well. Hope uh, I get a chance to enjoy the uh, holiday um, in remembrance of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., so we are basically at this coaches convention, starts the Senior Bowl, and, and yep. there's so many scouts and coaches from teams and uh, around the league. Well, I bet if Andy Reid were to walk in here, which he's not going to because yeah. he's getting ready for a Super Bowl, this place would swarm that guy. I mean, that's the sense. You played for him yeah. for a little bit. You know him a little bit. But that's the sense you get from afar on Andy Reid is just how liked he is in this profession It'll be the second time he goes to the Super Bowl. Ironically, the other time was in Jacksonville with Philadelphia. The Super Bowl was in Jacksonville, and they lost to New England Patriots. Gets another chance in the state of Florida, uh, this time with the Kansas City Chiefs. For the first time in 50 years, brings the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. And you've got to believe there's a little bit of a golf clap going on uh, around the coaching circle for Andy Reid. Oh, and the entire NFL, Brent. You know, Because anytime you have success from a coach's perspective of the NFL, I think it can breed a little bit of arrogance, right? It can breed a little bit of ease. Ego, and for as much success that Andy Reid has had, he's had a lot of it. Don't get me wrong; um, he's never had that sense of arrogance about him. You know, he, he's, he's a guy who's really stayed true to who he is, and is just one of those guys. You see him on the street; you can come up and talk to him, man, and he'll have a conversation with you. And it doesn't be about football; it can be about anything. It's just it, it, it's what he brings to his football team as well. You know, I think that's why they they have so much respect for him. It's the fact that yes, like he is one of the greatest offensive-minded guys uh, in the entire league. But you'll never know it talking to him. He's just a guy that goes about his business, likes to have fun, and keep things lighthearted. Well, the thing about it, too, is there's this perfect marriage between Andy Reid, who's a, who's a known offensive guy, quarterback guy, he's worked with some good quarterbacks along the way. His, some of his disciples, like a Doug Peterson, also have had success as well. And there is this relationship now with, with Patrick Mahomes and him yeah. that is pretty special. You can kind of tell. And, and listen, Patrick Mahomes is a special talent. But that relationship is important, and people sleep on that. They don't want to talk about that. It's like, eh, whatever. He'd be great anywhere. Not mm. necessarily. He'd be good at physically anywhere because he's a gifted player. He is. And people didn't realize he's as gifted as he is. And I always say I think there's a bit of a red flag about a guy like Mahomes because of the Big 12. And Big sure. 12 QBs haven't had a ton of success. So whatever it was, some people missed on him. Or this guy would have been the number one pick in the draft, no doubt about it, the way he's played. Kansas City saw that. 
and now they've developed that, and you can see the special relationship. It kind of reminds me a little bit, not from a physical sense, and not from even a heavy set sense with the coaches, but I don't think the guy that gets enough credit for the Patriots' success early on is Charlie Weiss. Mm-hmm. Charlie Weiss is kind of like this guy that now people will say, oh, he failed at Notre Dame, and he failed here, and he was this here, and all that stuff. Well, that's fine. But he helped set the table in New England and brought a system to New England that Tom Brady just ran with and mastered, and it, it clicked with him. So there's a connection there that I don't think Weiss ever gets enough credit. But it almost reminds me a little bit of that. Again, Mahomes is so much more gifted physically than Tom Brady is. But that relationship between coach and player has a little bit of sense of that to me. Well, and to me, that relationship, it starts from the fact that they went out of their way to get him. So so immediately, the Kansas City Chiefs showed, you know what, we want you on our team. Remember, like they met with Deshaun Watson. They thought Deshaun Watson was a good player. They met with Patrick Mahomes, got him on the board, drew up some plays, and Andy Reid immediately fell in love with him. And then since that day, his first time on the board, Andy Reid's like, we got to do what it takes to get this guy. Even when you know the draft experts were like, yeah, I mean, he's a good player, but is he Deshaun Watson? Is he really going to be the best quarterback of that draft? Well, Kansas City didn't care. Kansas City didn't listen to the, the outside noise. They got their guy. And listen, sometimes it works out, like Patrick Mahomes. Sometimes it might blow up in your face, like Mitch Trubisky right now. You know, But the point is that you go after your guy and you show faith in him. I think when you do that... That starts with the camaraderie and that builds a relationship up to have a good, you know, success pending the quarterback play is good on the field. And we'll talk more about it as, uh, as, the, as the day goes along, the week goes along, and the two weeks go along leading up to the Super Bowl. Brett Martin of Austin Lane, Marcel Robinson hanging out as well uh, here from Mobile, Alabama, and the Reese's Senior Bowl, which means a lot of Reese's peanut butter cups for us, even though... About this intermittent fast. Yeah. And so, so get them in while you can, man. you got a short window. That's right. I've got <laughs> one to nine. I'm in the window right now. Yeah. You know what else was in the window? Oh, man. It was party time today once we crossed the Alabama state line, folks. This was like bringing the kids to Disney World. I did this a few months ago. I told you about it. Bucky's was a big hit, not just with Tyler and Kaylee and my wife, Steph, but also a big hit with Marcel and Austin. We almost couldn't leave there. And the sandwiches were good. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I was optimistic, Brent. You, you talked this place up like it was the biggest thing of all time. I thought it was a gas station. I was optimistic. I walked into it. We got... Listen, if you're on the road and you thought to yourself, I'm sure it's happened to everybody. Man, I need to get some live bait for fishing, but I also, I'm kind of in the mood for some barbecue sandwiches. Well, then, man, do I got a place for you. It's called Bucky's, okay? Because everyone's had that conversation before. But that's what this place is, dude. We're talking, like, beef jerky on one side. We're talking, like, pulled pork brisket in the middle. We got, like, craft cheeses and stuff in the back. I mean, we got live bait in the corner. Like, I, I don't know what was going on in this place. It was a little bit of everything, man, but it was definitely legit. And spoiler alert. The food was legit as well. Food was legit. Yeah. Bathrooms are good. A yeah. little bit busy bee-esque, but almost on steroids, if yeah. you will. A lot of gas pumps. As this free commercial goes on for Bucky's, <laughs> that's how much I like it. Yeah. I also will say, I mean, it's such a good place that... I mean, I might have held my pee for 79 miles just to stop there instead. <laughs> and we appreciate your service, man, because it was worth it for everybody. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's our little trip here this morning as we left early. Got here uh, now Central Time, 224 Obviously, 324 back in Jacksonville, wherever you're listening to the time. Could be different because I know you listen uh, all over the country, sometimes even all over the world. All right, what are the Jags looking for? We're here at the Senior Bowl. Last year, they found Gardner Minshew, Josh Oliver, and Raquel Armstead. This is a a franchise that has had success in this game. 
uh, guys like Aaron Col- Colvinback, uh, Brandon Linder, sure. uh, Telvin Smith. Yep. They found players in this game. I mean, the list goes on and on. Austin Lane, yeah. Uh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Sorry about that. No, you're okay, man. Back in 2010. I didn't, I didn't know how far back we're going. We're there, okay, though. There's this guy from Murray State, Austin Lane. That's right. I'm messing, uh, dude. we gotta t- we got to take some people through those Austin Lane stories and what this experience was like. And, yeah. oh, one more side note. At Bucky's, you saw some folks from Murray State. Yeah, man. Racer Nation out in full effect. They so, remembered you. So, yeah, so small, long story short, um, saw a guy rocking a Murray State sweatshirt, said what's up to him. His son is actually an announcer for the Murray State Racers, and uh, his son actually announced me up to the stage for my Hall That's of Fame speech. Cool. So, yeah, they, they, I guess they saw the video. They recognized me. So it's definitely a small world, man. What a small world. And speaking of, so in the lobby <laughs> now, I'm sitting up up here and, and yapping a little bit. Marcel, we're on the second floor, and Marcel and Austin – here in the hotel, they go downstairs to look for some chairs yep. to set up uh, the radio show today. And, well, you tell us the rest of the story. Yeah, so Marcel and I are by the lobby desk getting chairs, or trying to get chairs at least. And this guy comes up to me, kind of taps me on the shoulder from behind. And he goes, hey, man, can I have your autograph? And so, like, immediately I'm like, well, this guy must think I'm a senior bowl player. Because, you know, I'm tall and I stand out. So I'm like, yeah, man, no problem. Like, I'm just thinking, okay, I'll sign something and it is what it is. Pulls out a Jacksonville Jaguars card of me. Of, and it said Austin Lane on it. And I go, what? He's like, yeah, man, I figured you're going to be here. I'm like, all right. So, and, and this is where my mind went to. I, I honestly thought I was getting, like, punked or something like that. And I thought, <laughs> and I thought like, the guy had, like, a printer, like, underneath his coat because he's wearing a coat. I thought he had, like, a printer in his coat where he could, like, type in a name and, it, like, print something out. That's where my mind was going because I was not expecting to see a playing card with me on it. But, yeah, man, the guy wanted my autograph, so I'm sure it's going to be on eBay for a buck seventy-five. Uh, get it, you, know, you can probably buy it now if you want. But, yeah, man, it was a crazy scene. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'll give that guy his $50 later, and I want my card back. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so uh, that's incredible. Actually, maybe he watches the show, so he knew maybe, you were coming. Maybe, man. Yeah. Well, you said I knew you were going to be here, so obviously he must watch all the show or something. Hey, here's the be- the best part of that story: is nobody recognized the best hands in Jacksonville, Marcel Robinson. Yes. They didn't think yes. he was. They yes, didn't think right. he was in the senior yes. bowl. Not yet. We'll see, though. Uh, you still have a little something left. All right, so seriously, they found some folks here, yourself included, yeah. at the Senior Bowl in the last decade or so. And this, I feel, I said to you guys, I feel like there's more bigger names here mm-hmm. uh, year after year after year. I, I, obviously, this time around, Herbert and uh, and Justin, uh, Jalen Hurts. Yeah. You know, you get names like that. Now, listen, when you were here, too, Tebow was here. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's always had a play. It just feels like there's more of it. It seems like this game... Uh, Jim Nagy has done a great job with it. Everybody involved with the Reese's Senior Bowl has done a great job with it. I feel like there's more and more depth and good players and players that get drafted across the entire league. In fact, we'll take a look at some of that, uh, including Gardner Minshew last year. But what are they looking for this year? Because it's kind of wide open. They have the ninth pick. They have the 20th pick. They're not looking for a quarterback necessarily unless something fell on their lap and they're like, oh, my gosh, we're doing this. It doesn't feel that way. There's a, a... a class of receivers that has some depth to it. Do you need that? Well, you'd like that. Do you need that? No, you'd like that. So you can get it later on. Do you need big bodies? I think so across the defensive front. Do you need to replace potentially Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye? Do you need some linebacker help? And everybody wants the big uglies up front in the offensive line oh, because it's absolutely. never good enough. Yep. So where would you if – if I put a room in this room, position group by position group, sure. if you're a Jack Scout, what room would you go in first? Well, see, because this is the thing, and, and this is such the 
I guess why I'm going through such mental gymnastics right now. Because if I'm a scout, I'm coming from the standpoint of I'm trying to build up the team for the future, right? Like that's the whole point of these events. It's like you're trying to find your future, maybe left tackle. You're trying to find your future defensive tackle. It is what it is. But from Dave Caldwell's perspective, from Doug Marone's perspective, to me, you're on a one-year lease right now, and, and you're playing to win right now. And if we go back to last year's draft class, wide receivers were the game changer last year. Whether it was AJ, um, I'm sorry, uh, not, yeah, AJ Brown? AJ Brown, yeah, AJ Brown, you got DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, all these guys, pretty high draft picks at the wide receiver position. All those guys changed the offense around. Yeah, highly productive and made an immediate impact. Good so, call. So the question comes, Brent, if you're Doug, if you're Doug Marone right now, if you're Dave Caldwell. Yeah, I get you want to plan for the future, but you have to look at what positions can change your team going into this season. What positions can have immediate effect and immediate game change at the position? It's interesting. You continue to see like the Kittles of the world, the Kelseys of the world. They've been stars in this postseason. We know this team is deprived of tight ends. They need them. But it also isn't a draft where you have the Fants and the Hawkinsons, it yeah. feels like. So those are going to be middle or back end picks, I would think, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So many ways to go. Let's talk about it a little bit more. Try to Again, I, I like the analogy of just kind of setting these guys up in a room, and which room would you want to walk into first and say, make a first impression, say, we need kind of this this group. Yep. Uh, and where does that sit? And I'm going to surprise you with something, because I know where everybody else goes in terms of the trenches. And I think the Jaguars will not be as quick to go there as many others think. We'll talk about it coming up next. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690, live from the Reese's Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. It's tough, you know, it's kind of, honestly, I'm kind of in shock a little bit, you know, just, you don't prepare yourself for this outcome, you know, everything in your preparation, in your mind is, we're going to win this game, you know, you don't really even think of the other side, so when it hits, it hits hard, I love this team, I love these guys, I love the way we competed this year, I love weight, playing with them, week in and week out, it hurts, you just, you feel the pain across the locker room, think how far we've come to really come up short from what our end goal was. Well, that was Ryan Tannehill, Titans quarterback. The question is, will it be the Titans quarterback next year? What do they do with uh, Ryan Tannehill? And no doubt, you know, that Titans team feels a little bit like the Jags did in 2017. The only difference being, I think, clearly Kansas City was a better team than Tennessee. I, I'm not convinced, man. I still go back. I watched that game. I was at that game. I know that roster. I thought the Jags were the better team against New England in the AFC Championship game. I think it proved that the following year that that a different team, different roster, but they did it on the home field, you know, in that first month. That, that doesn't indicate everything. I'm just saying in both of those instances, and I've always said this, I thought the Jags looked like a better football team on paper, and we saw for about, shoot, 50 minutes in that game, the Jaguars were the better team in the AFC title game. Never really got that sense. For about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe you thought Tennessee might be better, sure. but you kind of knew what... Kansas City was capable of doing and about to do, especially at home. That's where it feels different to me. But in terms of the run, Tennessee's run, pretty similar to the Jags. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, if we're talking the Tennessee Titans, that's met with a lot of cringeworthy phases, obviously, because they are the Jaguars' rivals. At the same time, I think you have to respect what the Titans were able to accomplish this year. This game, though, and this is the weird thing, Brent, because I feel like if the Titans beat the Chiefs, I think we're talking Ryan Tannehill new contract regardless of what his stats were because it's hard to knock a quarterback, and even though he doesn't lead you to, but it's hard to knock a quarterback who is part of a Super Bowl-bound team, right? So we talk about Ryan Tannehill being on the verge of a new contract. To me, that was like Gardner Minshew in London, right? That was like his 
one chance to prove, you know what, I'm the guy for the job, or you know what, maybe I'm not quite ready yet. And with Ryan Tannehill, man, you know, there were some opportunities for him to succeed, and unfortunately he had some missed throws. And, and let's, let's be fair, I mean, the Chiefs were playing great defense as well. The run game in the second half was not there, so it kind of made the Titans one-dimensional. But if you're the Titans organization now, you got to ask yourselves, well, well, first of all, do you sign Derrick Henry to that big deal? Because let's be honest, that guy's going to want a lot of money, and rightfully so. The, the, the guy literally put the team on his back and said, hop on if you're coming, but I'm taking you to some special places. But on the other side, too, you have to ask yourselves, do you go with Ryan Tannehill now? Because Marcus Mariota probably not going to be there anymore. So is Tannehill going to be the guy going forward? Yeah, and, and I think they have some really tough decisions. Because as much as I love Derrick Henry, I love the story, do you give him a boatload of money? Do you give a running back a boatload of money? Do you make, I mean, the Ezekiel Elliott. The, Todd Gurley, saw that panned out. I mean, we know it's it's one thing. It's so hard because you, you want to take care of your players that perform well. They earn it, especially in a contract year like this. Derek Henry has earned the opportunity to get a big deal. But I think it's a tough spot for Tennessee. Kind of the way the Jacks felt about Blake Bortles. He felt like he earned some of that, right? He earned the opportunity to see if it could go further. Correct. Well, they fell for that, and it didn't work out. And now Titans might not only face that with Henry, but they might face that with Tannehill as well. Did he earn the opportunity to get more playing time, to see where he can take this thing? You know, probably the answer is yes. Should they give him $20 million a year and, and commit to him? I would say probably the answer to that is no. Yeah. yeah. Tricky. Yeah, I mean... For, for Tricky, Ryan, but it can really hurt you if you don't make the right call. Oh, without a doubt, because that, the, the, that's going to be a big cap hit right there. I think with Ryan Tannehill's perspective, listen, I think if Blake Bortles would have led the Jaguars to the Super Bowl, nobody would have had a problem with offering him a new contract, right? I think everybody would have been like, all right, give Blake Bortles a new contract. But they didn't get the Super Bowl. They got to the AFC Championship game. So, to me, it, it's 50-50, because if you're the Titans, you watch what the Jaguars did with Blake Bortles and see, well, that came back to bite him in the butt a little bit. So, I think they're going to weigh all, all their options there. From the Derrick Henry perspective, Brent, and, and I get it, you know, like, you could pay him this boatload of money and it would be Todd Gurley take-two, right? Like, Todd Gurley had that great year, they pay him the money, then what happens? He deals with injuries and everything, and, you know, he's, I don't want to call him a shell of himself, but he's not playing up to his best abilities because of the injuries, uh, and because he's kind of on a pitch count. So, with Derrick Henry, though, I just feel like he's a different breed, Brent. I, I, I just feel like the guy doesn't get hurt, um, even though the way he runs. But you look at his, produ- his production in college, averaging around 30 uh, carries a game, and the scouts were worried about that, and the pros, well, he showed to be pretty durable. You know, and this year he was counting on as pretty much, pretty much, pretty much a three-down back as Deion Lewis um, succeeded some of his reps. So, if I'm the Titans, I look at my identity, what I want to do, and Derrick Henry is a big part of that identity. I think I, if I'm the Titans, i got to pony up and pay the man. Yeah, that's a great thing you just said, identity. You know, if, if Rabel wants to keep this toughness on identity, the face of that right now is Derrick Henry, so it's hard not to bring him back in some capacity. All right, let's move on back to the Jags. And, and I said before the break, and I said a little bit earlier about if you had to separate position groups, mm-hmm. uh, right, uh, quarterbacks, and offensive line, defensive line, you know all the positions, and put them in different rooms here in this hotel in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl, if you're a Jags scouting staff, coaching staff, Dave Caldwell, what room do you enter first saying, hey, we need that? They need a lot. Yeah. They need help in the secondary. They need help at linebacker. They need help on the defensive front. They could add another wide receiver for sure. Yeah. They could add more depth at running back. You never can have enough offensive linemen. Yes, could you invest in a quarterback? I would say that's probably on the back burner since they have two right now on the roster, and I think they'll have two, uh, well, three on the roster, and I think they'll have these three guys most likely going into 2020. That's the way I feel about it, mm-hmm. at least. But what I think a lot of people would say, and uh, uh, Sunil just uh, 
tweeted and said, offensive and defensive lines, when I asked, what would you look for? What what, what position? Yeah. Um, you know, Matt says everything but kicker and punter, and I think he's probably <laughs> right. You know, that's yeah. kind of what I just described. But I think a lot of people would go offensive line. When I talked to folks about the Jags, it was like that offensive line, that offensive line, that offensive line. I'm going to surprise you a little bit here, but I said this to you guys on the way up. Mm-hmm. I would not be stunned if the Jaguars' offensive line looks exactly the same in 2020 to start the year as it did in 2019 to end the year. That's with Cam Robinson, Norwell, Linder, Can, if you want it, Richardson might beat him, who knows, who knows uh, and, and Taylor. Yeah. I, I don't know if I look at those individuals, if I see them making this huge investment. Now, the one caveat to that is Andrew Thomas or an off, or left tackle because they say, you know what, we're done with Cam Robinson. Sure. Could they do that? Absolutely. Should they do that? Maybe they should. But he's going to be on a contract year, usually one of those years where guys perform at their best. And do they actually actually need that? Remember, Cam Robinson as a rookie helped them get to that AFC championship game. This unit as an offensive line, to me, did not play well overall together. But I think if you look at them at their parts, I think there's a lot of people in here that scout and coach football in the NFL that would say, hey, that guy's not bad. That guy's mm-hmm. not bad. That's not bad. Now, again, versus what they're making and expectations, all that stuff, that's a different animal. That's a different conversation. So my point is, at number nine, if you have potentially an offensive tackle, potentially a defensive lineman, potentially a guy like Isaiah Simmons still on the board who might be one of the best players, actually players, football players, uh, left at that time. I'm not convinced they would go offensive line. I, I, I think it's, yes, you need it because you always need it. But I'm not sure the Jags are going to sit there and say, oh, my gosh, we are desperate at offensive line, as much as the fan base is actually saying it. So in terms of the hierarchy of needs here, Brent, is offensive line in my top three? Probably not, okay? But but I'm going to say this, and we talked about this last year a little bit, and, and I think it still rings true. When it's fourth and one, and you know you have to run the ball, can you trust that offensive line to get you a yard? Because I'll tell you what, nine times out of ten, the Titans can do that. Nine times out of ten, the 49ers can do that. Nine times out of ten, I think even Green Bay can do it. And nine times out of ten, I think Baltimore could do it. What do those teams all have in common? They had a pretty good year this year. And I cannot say the same thing for the Jaguars. Now, can that improve? I, I think we talked about this on the ride here, too. Maybe some, you give him some more time to gel because, let's be honest, Cam Robinson was out with an injury. Uh, Juwan Taylor didn't practice, I think, a lot in training camp, he if didn't. I'm not mistaken. And but, he's a rookie. So and, he and he's a rookie. Gives him, and he's shown that he's, he's, there's a lot of promise ahead of him. But I guess my issue would be the three – I mean, I'm sorry, the two guards and the center because they did play together. And, and a lot of that leakage, especially in the run game, came from the middle of the offensive line. So we can throw out the excuse of, well, yeah, but give them some time to work together. I get that maybe from the tackle perspective. Yes, Juwan Taylor's young. Yes, Cam Robinson dealing with some knee injuries. But the middle of your offensive line, you know, the heart of your offensive line, they didn't really have any excuses, Brent. And unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. So am I going to draft somebody like at a guard spot at number nine? Absolutely not. But maybe down the line do I draft somebody? Possibly. But at the same time, you, well, you're not probably going to cut Norwell because that's going to be the cap hit right there. I do think A.J. Can has come on a little bit, and when they actually keep him in the game and they don't sub him with Will Richardson, I thought he showed some promise. And you know and you know what you can do with Brandon Linder, right? So it's funny because you look at those three guys singularly, and it's like, yeah, I think they're all pretty solid football players. 
but collectively this season, for whatever reason, they were not gelling that well. Yeah, and I don't know what the answer to that is, okay? I'm, I'm going to try to figure that out along the way, but why is that? And some of it is continuity, and I know you, what you said about the middle three, but still, it, again, if you look at some lines that really are good, they've played together for, for multiple years, you know, and, and usually they're fairly talented too, but they've played together for multiple years. So it's not always a plug-and-play kind of position. I'll also say this, and this is maybe, uh, I don't want to say, maybe this is a bit more conspiracy theory on my part, but does some of the departure of John Filippo have to do with that offensive line? Keep in mind, this is a team built to play action pass, and they were one of the statistically worst teams or least amount of teams to play action pass, even though they had a running back do what he did this year, go well over 1,000 yards. So... Was that on the offensive coordinator a little bit? Did he maximize the ability of this offensive line? Did he help the offensive line at some times? And I think there's one game in particular where you would say absolutely not. Nick Foles' first game back against the Indianapolis Colts, they threw it 47 times. They gave it to Leonard eight times. That's the one. Now, that's one out of 16. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying, hey, he deserves to go because of that. But my point being, is there a little bit of a philosophical difference on what Marone wanted to get out of his offensive coordinator from a play-calling standpoint to help the offensive line, put them in a good position to be successful, and maybe what DiFilippo did, especially in that second half of the year, at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, maybe a bit conspiracy theory, but it could have gone into some of the reasons why he's no longer the O.C. here in Jacksonville. Well, you're absolutely right, Brent, because if you go back to his time in Minnesota, even though it was short, there was, once again, you know, philosophies that had difference. I mean, Mike Zimmer being the old-school guy that he was, having Dalvin Cook here at disposal, they wanted to run the ball. And John D. Filippo chose to pass the ball a little more, and that was basically essentially what got John D. Filippo canned. So um, we did see the same thing uh, in Indianapolis, and then it kind of went downhill from there. So, yeah, it, you know, it, it could be just a standpoint of, the offensive line, offensive coordinator, and head coach not being on the same page. So that's why, to me, it's so important. The next guy you bring in, there has to be a clear idea of what you want, regardless of who the quarterback is, right? Like, I get it. Some quarterbacks have different schemes uh, that you plan for and everything like that with Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles. But at the end of the day, everyone's got to be on the same page. And starting with your identity first. All right, so that's the offensive line part of it. Yeah. They need to remake this defense. They need some help. They're right on the offensive. They need tight ends. They need another playmaker maker on the outside. I think they need some depth at running back and maybe uh, someone, especially from a change of pace standpoint. Mm-hmm. And they might have to start grooming whoever's going to replace Leonard Fournette if they don't pick up the option, or even if they do, it might just be two more years left for Leonard Fournette in a Jags uniform. But I think right now the eyesore. And what we also did see in this playoffs and, and good teams this year is they could play defense. Yeah. But the Jaguars suffered on defense. Jaguars lost a lot of talent on defense. They've now lost Malik Jackson. They've lost Jalen Ramsey. They've lost Telvin Smith. They could lose Calais Campbell. They could lose A.J. Boye. That's a lot of talent on the offensive line. They lost Marcel Darius mm-hmm. uh, halfway through the year, too. So it seems to me that this draft will be spent a lot of times fixing that defense if possible. Maybe free agency helps that too. But I believe they're going with big boys up front yeah. on the defensive side early and often if I'm the Jaguars. Yeah, well, without a doubt. you know, And I think that's where you have to lean towards, right? Calais Campbell making another Pro Bowl year 
but I think even he'll be the first one to test for you, where he's starting to get some mileage on those treads a little bit, right? And ideally what you want to do with him is bring him on, on third down situations. You don't want to give him so much of the brunt of the work on the first and second downs, especially when they run the ball. So that's like I got, you know, and being a defensive lineman myself, that, that's what I'm keen in this year, okay? And, and that's what I, I have my attention focused on. Last year was the quarterbacks a little bit because we didn't know if Foles was really going to be in play. We didn't know if they were going to go with the quarterback. So this year I'm all defensive line. I'm all about the trenches. And one guy that I have my eye on a little bit um, is Javon Kinglaw from South Carolina. Yeah. Now, he's a big boy. He's like 6'6", 3'10". Now, that's big, number one. But number two, if you give a defensive tackle number three at the Senior Bowl, <laughs> the, the number three, you better have some swag with it. You better have some athleticism. I think he's trying to play for a first-round spot right now uh, this week in this game. Yeah, and you're right. I think yeah. he is. He's trying to play for that. He's a big body. Th- yeah. And that will show you some of the depth. I think he is a, a capable player, a guy that you could pick up and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that would add. And one thing you also got to be careful of, the immediate impact. You know, the Jags were the youngest team in the NFL this year. The numbers came out, I think, last week. The youngest team. Now, age is separated from oldest to youngest in the NFL by four years. So it doesn't seem like much. But they also played, I think, the rookies class played the fifth of, uh, most snaps in the NFL. Uh, I don't say that as an excuse. I say that as that's reality. And the Jaguars need some more experience. They they can't just go young all the time and have this inexperience running around. I think we saw what happens with a guy like Quincy Williams. Sure. You get turned around and, and upside down and, and things happen. Yeah. So they have to be a little bit careful that they're just not plugging holes with all these young guys that they need to rely on mm-hmm. right away. That will be something that will be interesting how they build this in the offseason with free agency, with middle-of-the-road free agents that have some experience, and then with the draft to complement that. And I think that comes back to a conversation we have talked about a bunch. You need to be fast, you need to be athletic, you need to be skilled. Mm -hmm. But the Jaguars need to go get the savvy high IQ player as well because they might need to lean on them earlier than some other teams. And you want that guy that knows how to play the position well. Yeah, and when we talk about needs, I think we're on the same page here. We we both say tight ends are probably the biggest area of need right now going forward for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's where they're lacking a ton. It's where they're lacking. But at the same time, I mean, like you said, address it in free agency. Even guys like Noah Fant, even guys like TJ Hawkinson, we, we, we praised how good they looked and everything like that, but let's be honest, Brent. You know, both, I think Noah Fant a little more than TJ Hawkinson because Hawkinson was hurt, but, you know, they, they had pretty average rookie years. You know, they didn't blow the doors off of. We're not talking about pro bowlers here. And you got to ask yourself the question is that a, a, a position that you pursue in free agency because you want to make an impact at the tight end position? You know it's going to help out Gardner Minshew going forward if he's indeed your starting quarterback. He is kind of that safety blanket. So do you pursue that more in free agency? as opposed to maybe here at the senior bowl or getting an underclassman at the tight end position just because it takes a couple years for them usually to develop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of different things to talk about with this group. We're going to get into it. By the way, some Gators here, some local uh, flavor here when it comes to the, the colleges that people root for. Uh, and there's some big-time players here. The quarterbacks are, are in that list. We're going to catch up with a lot of the players tomorrow. In fact, they're, they're out and about right now. Yeah. This is kind of the informal meeting with scouts and, and teams for some of the players. That's how it all begins. I want you to share a little bit about how this works uh, coming up so we set that table. And also we'll take a little bit of a look back at 
last year, and how did this roster in the Senior Bowl impact this year in the NFL? So can it pay dividends right away like it kind of did with the Jaguars class, at least when it comes to Gardner Minshew, to a minimal effect where Quell Armstead, he started to get more carries, and unfortunately Josh Oliver ended up getting hurt. More to come live from the Senior Bowl, Mobile, Alabama. Action Sports Jacks on the road once again, live on ESPN 690. Friends, Austin, ESPN 690, happy anniversary. This is Jason Fitz. Man, I enjoy getting to spend so much time with you guys every single stinking week. I can't wait for it to continue. Also, by the way, shameless promotion on your anniversary Monday, 1 to 3 Eastern. You can listen to First Take Your Take with me, Jason Fitz. Anyway, more important than all of that, you guys have been a blast throughout the entire football season. I can't wait to see what 2020 holds for you. Proud of your anniversary. Happy for you guys. It's just the beginning of great, great things, and I'm small to be a tiny, tiny part of what you guys are doing there. Happy anniversary. Have some extra cake just for me. That was Jason Fitz leaving us a message uh, Friday for our big anniversary show. If you missed it, go check it out. We had a lot of fun. That was really cool. <laughs> Appreciate everybody uh, being a part of it. Now, Jason Fitz, congratulations to him. He did just debut his new show, First Take Your Take, and he now leads into us every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. here on ESPN 690. So check him out, 1 to 3. First take, your take, uh, kind of elaborating on, on what they talk about on the first take show. Yeah. And uh, leading the charge is Jason Fitz. He's a fun guy, uh, fantastic guy. And if you don't know his background, check it out. But we told you before, he used to play the fiddle in the band Perry, a yeah. uh, popular country group, and he's made the shift uh, to sports radio. And, again, once it was such a fun time on Friday with the live studio audience. Had a lot of positive feedback. It was cool uh, for everybody that showed up, the mascots, all the teams that were involved all the vendors and, and restaurants and, and businesses that were part of it uh, on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690, not just Friday, but also uh, all year long. Special thanks to Jumpin' Jack's House of Food for providing uh, uh, the sponsorship, being the primary sponsor of Friday's show. Yeah, it was an awesome time, man. Like I, I thought literally maybe two people would show up, and then I thought, okay, well, there's like 50 people here. This must be all Brent's relatives. It's like a Martino family reunion here. I don't and, have that kind of money well, to fly in, well, man. And, and come to find out that they weren't actually related to Brent Martino. So I'm like, dang, people are actually listening to us and everything like that. So it was a really cool scene. I had a blast. Both their families was there, were there. I think they had a great time as well. And uh, shout out to Jason Fitzman for giving me a little passive-aggressive jab there saying enjoy your cake because, as you know, we've had a giant debate which is better, cake or pie. And, you know, I'm on Team Pie till I die, Brent. Yeah, and he was on Team Cake all He was, time. yeah. Uh, so uh, one other thing you might see, our official water of uh, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN. Absolutely. I've crowned them that. Okay. CGC Water, so good to have them on board. And one other thing about the party, getting a lot of feedback, including Marcel Robinson on the way up. Uh, get any more of that popcorn? <laughs> and so we had the popcorn from Front Porch Kettle Absolutely. Corn out there. And uh, want to give a shout-out to them. They've been a part of our Dream 18 for a couple years. If you have, like, a party or an event or a fundraiser, uh, these guys are great to give a call. Weddings, even. Uh, they do a little bit of everything. And uh, you can also find them in the Hagen Ace Hardware in Glen St. Mary. But 904-945-4575. That's 945-4575 for Front Porch Kettle Corn. People absolutely love it. The sweet and salty kettle corn. I've been doing it uh, for a decade Brent. now.
Yeah. With, with that kettle corn, I ate two bo- two bags that Friday night. <laughs> like, I took them home, and I was like, oh, this will last a week. I ate both that night. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, it's really good stuff. Marcel was raving about it. I brought one. I've got one in the car. I had a couple left over. So uh, everybody's like, well, what do you do with it? I said, I put it in the office. It better <laughs> still go. be there when I get back. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully. So, hey, let's welcome in John Bachman, Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Marcel Robinson here in Mobile, Alabama, the Senior Bowl. We'll talk a little bit more about the uh, – uh, Jags coming up in a bit. Is that the kettle corn? No, that's the York peppermint patties that were left on your desk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm crushing them right now. I'm crushing them. Hey, yeah, it's okay. Uh, just save me like one. Nah, actually, I got a whole box of those too. As long as I eat them in my window of intermittent fasting. Ah, uh, right. It, yeah, every one every twelve hours. That'll work for you perfectly. <laughs> Uh, so what's up, man? Hey, fellas. First of all, I had a great time Friday. Um, it was great to be a part of your uh, special anniversary. And um, I got to meet um, South Beach Gary. <laughs> and Gary, uh, he, 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 we had a nice friendly debate because I had said that um, uh, Sammy and uh, McGuire had uh, saved baseball. And he, he lobbied for Cal Ripken. So shout out to South Beach Gary for that. Ah, very oh. good. Um, we we got to meet a lot of folks, uh, which yeah. was pretty cool uh, that day. But we appreciate you and Tanika and Mike Barish stopping by. Matthew Driscoll stopped by. Marcel Robinson wore the shades, stopped by. And uh, we somebody called asking. me Tammy Faye Bachman. I was wearing oh. makeup, and I and um the um who was that? The guy who had the whiteboard. Oh yeah, that's submarine Mike. Submarine yeah, Mike. submarine Mike uh, called me Tammy Austin, Faye, Tammy Faye Bachman. Yeah, Mike. I know. Yeah, submarine Mike called me Tammy Faye Bachman. There was a lot of conversation about you and makeup. I know. Uh, I know. I know. It was maybe a little too much. So, did you have a good weekend? You know what? I did. I had to work last night, um, but I, that means I was able to kind of keep an eye on the football games while, you know, crafting news stories. Yeah. That's um, good. So that was good. Okay. It wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. You know, it beats. You know, being on a roof in the cold weather right now, so it's good. It's a little chilly around. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I was, I mean, I said this on Twitter, but if only I had put money where my mouth was in the preseason. You know, the, the 49ers were 30 to one favorites to win the Super Bowl. I was shocked at that. I actually saw somewhere it was 40 to one, man. Well, then I would have, yeah, I would have made even more money. Here's what, here's what I did not know when I saw it. It was like one of the the top four favorites, I think, to to go to a Super Bowl in recent memory, or maybe it was ever. But do you know St. Louis, the Rams in 1999, greatest show on turf, were 150 to one? Excuse wow. me. Super- Is that because Super was Kurt Warner discovered yet at that point? Probably I not. Guess that's was, not was, was, and it was Trent came out. I was gonna say was Green the quarterback to start that year? Yeah, I didn't realize that. I guess in '99, like I knew, uh, like I guess it was 2001 when the Patriots beat them that they had already been around and they were yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. '99, they just bam splashed on the scene like that. And I, right. I didn't recollect it like that. I didn't recollect it a lot back then. It was like I was going to say in college. John Bachman with the green pool though, very you impressive. Like that? Man. Hey, I like you know, that a that's lot. my the late '90s, my wheelhouse. You know what I'm saying? I got you, man. <laughs> For I a lot of you. things. <laughs> uh, also, like the Patriots, I think were 40 to one or something like that in 2001 to beat the Rams. That's that wasn't surprising wow. because that came out of nowhere. And that was obviously Brady replacing Bledsoe. Uh, and the other one that's uh, interesting to me was two years ago. I didn't realize the Eagles were such a long shot. They were right around 40 to 50 to 1 huh. to win the Super Bowl at the start of the year. Yeah. And obviously ended up getting it done. That surprised me. I mean, they were loaded on cap space. Yeah. You know, they had. Yeah, but they had the rookie. Wins. Yeah, but he was a rookie, was, wasn't he? That was the second year, I believe. Oh. I think that was year two, wouldn't it? Yeah. Been? Year mm, two. Really? Okay. Yeah, it would have been year two. All right. Uh, but still, I mean, yeah, I get it. They're a young quarterback. 
but uh, I just didn't realize he'd be at such long odds. So, uh, yeah, San Francisco's in that boat. And, again, they were coaching the Senior Bowl last year. Man. <laughs> See, and that's the, the thing. the worst like, teams in the league coach uh, the Senior Bowl. But that was luck, man, because that's where the luck comes in. Mm-hmm. They get the, the linebacker. Debo Green, Samuel, too. Well, they got Debo Samuel. Yeah. Is it luck, though? Is it really luck? I mean, yes, some of it's luck, but is it really luck? No, it's a lot luck. Here's why it's luck. Why? I'm not saying they don't deserve a pat on the back or anything, but it's also luck because they go get a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, and they sign him to this huge extension and a ton of money, and the guy's won five games in his career, and he's been a New England Patriot. And, yes, you know, you feel good about Jimmy G, but you don't really know what he's going to be. Then all of a sudden he gets hurt, and he misses the entire year. And you know what that lands him? That lands him a trip here to the Senior Bowl to coach, yeah. and also it lands him Nick Bosa because they had a top-five pick, top-whatever pick. Yeah. So they did get lucky mm. because they were able to get that player, and then on top of that they hit on guys like D. Ford in a trade. They signed Quan Alexander. They hit on the Emmanuel Sanders trade to mm-hmm. add to it. Hey, they made a lot of right moves. I think they deserve a lot That's of credit That's not luck. That. Yeah, right. But they did. They, you, you also have to get lucky that people stay healthy and all that pans out and works out. Oh, sure. And it's done that for San Francisco. Sure, but the Jags yeah. have been at the Senior Bowl how many times? Okay, okay, that's a great conversation. Jags have been the Senior Bowl every year, but they've also coached it many times. That's what I mean, yeah. But, you know, people will say, why can't the Jags do that? Well, wait a minute. Didn't they do that in 2017? The yeah. Jaguars in 2017 yeah. got this young They didn't talent. get to the Super Bowl, but you're right. They are close. They probably should have. But think about what they did to that year, yeah. John. Yeah. They traded for Marcel Darius midway through the year. Huge addition Absolutely. by trading for Marcel Darius. Absolutely. They, they signed free agents the year prior like Malik Jackson. The year... That year in 17, like Calais Campbell and A.J. Boye, and they hit home runs with those guys. That's no different than what San Francisco did in that respect. Fair they point. drafted a big-time player in the top five that helped them that year. Now, people said they should have drafted Watson or Mahomes, but Fournette helped them the most that year, much like Nick Bosa has helped uh, San Francisco. The difference is San Francisco seems to be set up for long-term success now. You know why that is? Why, why is that? They've got a great coach. The, two things. Two things. <laughs> they got a great general manager and great no, no. ownership. What? No, no, no. You, you were there. You okay. Were there. They yeah. have a, they have a quarterback they can believe yeah. in that's and right. invested in and think that's going to be good long term. And they do have a coach that I think is very good offensively with the X's and O's. That's not a knock on Doug Marone or anything else. Yeah. I think no, Kyle Shanahan is very good. And so the difference, if you ask me, like if people say, "Wow, San Francisco did it. Look what the Jags have done." No. The Jags did it in 2017. The only difference is, did they have the combination of a Shanahan and Garoppolo? Yeah, that's and right. The well, answer to that is no. See, but here's I'm going to cut you off, though, Brent, because you talk about Shanahan and Garoppolo. I mean, is Jimmy Garoppolo really that guy? Because well, he's well, better than Blake Bortles. We know that. Well, he is, okay, yeah. I mean, but what does that really say? <laughs> well, no, but, but that's what John's guys saying, are better though. Than Blake yeah. like, like, San Francisco could probably maintain this a little bit sure. because they have the QB and the coach to go along. They have the Reed Mahomes. Yeah. You know, they have the, yeah. the, the Belichick uh, uh, Brady. Well, maybe. I mean, uh, we don't know how good he's going to be, but they have that combo. The Jags didn't have that. They had Marone and and Bortles, and nobody was buying that for 10 years. No, I understand, I understand that, but at the same time, Brent, I think the 49ers are different from the standpoint of they built up through the draft over and over again in the trenches, right? They got guys like yeah. DeForest Buckner, yeah. guys like Solomon Thomas, even though I think Sheldon Day is actually starting over him right now. He, but, Solomon but, Thomas is, was yeah. a bust pick. He's a, well, we'll see, bro. I mean, okay. We'll, he's we'll a see. guy, man. Yeah, he, he is a guy, but he's still contributing, man, at the end of the day. But you, you built up through the draft, and you got guys on the offense like Staley. So you built up through the trenches, and then I felt like when they felt like they were ready, and when the trenches were in place on offense and defense, then they got Garoppolo. Then they brought him in and said, you know what? 
uh, the lines are complete. Now let's go after the weapons. And then they start bringing in Garoppolo. Then you got Debo Samuel. Then you trade for Emmanuel Sanders. So I think from the standpoint of, I get it, Shanahan and Garoppolo are forever married at the hip, and I understand that. But they don't bring Garoppolo over until all the pieces were in place to be successful, Most in my opinion. Most of them. I mean, they still, listen, they added Nick Bosa this year. I just told you they added D. Ford. They got Debo Samuel played a role. They got Emmanuel Sanders. So yeah. they did have, they've had Garoppolo now in place for three years. And by the way, but, the Jags could have made a run at Shanahan. Yeah. In 17. They went but, with Coughlin, uh, Marone, and, and that. But, but my, my only point is, Brennan's the offensive line was taken care of when Grappolo came in. Like, oh, you, you, you don't have to worry well, about the offensive line being a liability. Well Correct. Yes. You know? So, yeah. again, but my point, John, is I think you bring up a great point. We were talking about this a bit on the ride over. We did more show prep on the ride over. You can do that in a six-hour <laughs> ride than we've ever done before. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I don't. I, I, this isn't a defense of the Jags. Yeah. But I, I continuously say this, and it echoed again yesterday when Kansas City hasn't been to a Super Bowl in 50 years. And you look at San Francisco, and they've in 50 years, I think the stat said last night on TV was they've been to championship games 16 times in 50 years. That's an amazing number, how good that is. But the Jags going to that 2017 game, because they now stink the last two years, has been dismissed. And it, I don't think it should be dismissed. And I don't think it was dismissed by Shad Khan. And I'm not saying these guys are the right choice long-term or whatever. I'm surprised they're back in 2020, all that stuff. But 2017 was a special year, and the Jags did not build it that much differently than a team that everybody's all hyped up on now. I think you're 100% right. But, but, but I, well, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I agree with you. 2017 was a special year, and they had the young core players to add to it. They were pillars of the team. But let's be honest now. Jalen Ramsey, gone. Telvin Smith, gone. Dante Fowler, gone. And those are the young guys yeah. that you're supposed to build around. Those are the guys that you went after and in the draft yeah. and brought in to build the future. Well, guess what? Those guys are no longer here. Yeah, and that's the difference in my mind is that, well, a couple of things. Number one, you you just didn't get the sense that we the Jags were built to last like you get the sense that the 49ers are. Exactly. Or the Chiefs, for that matter. But in this case, the 49ers, because we're talking about them. And the other thing is that I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Austin, but I think it's a big thing, is that there there, there is an identity to both of these Super Bowl teams now uh, uh, of how they play, the style of play, who the leader is. The, they, they 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 act like they're leaders on that team. That you know they're both physical teams, and ah, I mean the, the Jags had that that year where they got a lot of turnovers, and that was great, and that's kind of what they were. But that's that is a lot of luck, and I just don't I just don't get a sense that there's that you know that. That lifeblood pulsing through the, the, the Jags team, if well, that makes sense. John, and it does. And the reason why you don't is because they have 21 losses in the last two years. It hasn't. It didn't sustain. You're right. It, like the Titans feel right. like more it, like that team. Like it might have just been a, a blip on the, but, you know, a quick little. But I, I, but I think that the, the my point is that there isn't, but, it, they, but I don't have that person that I can latch on to. And maybe it's Minshew. I mean, that's what, I think that's partly why so many people have latched on to him is because they feel like this is the guy that can get that blood pumping in that, in that locker room and in that team. Because up until now, we really, I mean, you know, Calais is awesome, but, and he's a great leader, but I've just, it doesn't seem like there's been that, I don't know, that thing that the San Francisco 49ers seem to have on defense with Nick Bosa's motor and Buckner up the middle just, I mean, you know, I don't know, it just seems that it factor that you, you, you can see it, you know it when you see it, and you just don't see it 
with a lot of teams, frankly, not just the Jags. No, but I, and I think you're right to a degree. I just think we get we're prisoners of the moment, and yeah. right now we think San Francisco is the best thing that ever happened. I will tell you this: San Francisco's defense, the 2017 Jags were being talked about like the San Francisco 49ers defense. They were, mm-hmm. no doubt. They were definitely, I mean, they were the thing, man. They were everywhere. Yeah. People were like this, wow, look yep. at this defense. And they That's performed true. like that. And I think you just brought up another key component. And before I get to him, let me also add that a guy like Robert Sala, people wanted him out of there last year. Yeah. And, he, and, and now look, now they want him to be the head coach everywhere else. So it's just amazing how quick it turns in the NFL, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. But the one thing you brought up, John, was Minshew. And so on top of all this other stuff, the Jaguars in 17, or even in 18, didn't make the right call on the QB stuff. They didn't seem to have that guy like a lot of these other teams have that give you the confidence there's momentum building and that they can sustain it. And that turned to be the case. They couldn't sustain it because Bortles wasn't the guy. Well, now you do have to at least ask yourself, is Minshew the guy? At least you have to wonder that. And that's more and more reason why they need to play him in 20. Because you might be the guy. Like, you might have finally found something. That's, that's true, but, you, you know, know, I was listening to somebody uh, on the way in, and, and maybe it was maybe it was Fitz because I was listening to him on the way in, too. But somebody was saying, you know, that when it's obvious, it brings clarity. In other words, Mahomes was pretty clear going to be a star in the league from the moment he came. And now he sat a year behind, was it Alex Smith? Yeah. Correct, but but even when he came in the last two games of the season, especially against the Broncos, like you saw it the glimpses no of brainer. brilliance where right. it was going to be It, it was a no doubt. There was no question they had their guy. Yeah. And then you look at some of these other great quarterbacks, um, I, you know, Drew Brees and obviously Tom Brady. All, you know, you could go down the list, Aaron Rodgers. You know, they, they've been no-brainers. Then there's a whole bunch of other guys that you're like, eh, Kirk Cousins with my Vikings. Same thing. You're like, he's good, but is he a no-brainer guy that's going to get you to the promised land? So far, it's proven that he's not. And, you know, that's where I worry. Like, okay, Minshew, I, I want to believe he's the guy. And I hope he is. And, and by golly, if things go right, he will be. But at the same time, I can't sit here and say, oh, that's a no-brainer. And does that mean then you have to still go after the no-brainer? Because as it turns out, with the exception of maybe Jimmy G, because... Do we really know if he's a if he's the guy? I don't know that I could say that yet. But obviously Mahomes is the guy, and he's in the Super Bowl. Absolutely, yeah. The thing about it is, you have you will constantly, and they need to do this, continue to spin the tires on that, kick the tires on that until they find the guy. Or in our position, like if they had gone one in fifteen this year, and they could get Joe Burrow because they know he's the guy, right. then you can go invest in that. But at the ninth pick, you're not going to do that. So they have to find out if Minshew is the guy. And you know what? Yeah. If he's not, that means there'll be a new regime trying to find the next guy. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the quarterback bridges everything. Absolutely, he does. But the makeup of the football teams around the NFL, they do change year in, year out. And that is evident from San Francisco. You just have to make a few right moves, and that's not easy. But if you do that, if you make a handful of right decisions, Austin, you can change that thing in a dime. Well, and, and here's the beauty of knowing if he's the guy or not, right? Like, we think Gardner Minshew could be special. We're not 100% sure yet, but I think he has earned the chance for next year. But the beauty of it is, and listen, and I'm the last guy to compare where he got drafted, 
but he is a six-round pick. You aren't tied to him. And assuming we'll see if Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone are going to be here next year after the season. But look at Mitch Trubisky right now in Chicago, John. Yeah. Like, they're yeah. tied to him. They yeah. are pot committed to him, yes. whether they like it or not. Because and as a Vikings they, fan, I love it. Exactly. And if you're a Packers fan or a Lions fan, I'm sure you love it, too. Because at the end of the day, if you're Ryan Pace, if you're that GM, if you cut ties with Mitch Trubisky, you're basically saying, you know what, I messed up and I'm not adequate to be a GM of the Chicago Bears. You can't do that. So you have to ride with him. Minch, on the other hand, if he doesn't tell you something this year where, you know what, maybe he's struggling a little bit, maybe he's not the guy you thought he was, that's okay, man, because you know what, he's only a six-round pick at the end of the day. You can pick some other guys up and, uh, you know, play for him instead. But the thing is, is that uh, if you look at it by that, if you analyze it like that, I mean, how does Caldwell still have his job? I mean, he did well, it with Bortles. They, they had to cut him loose, and he still got his job. Yeah, and, and I, it's a fair question that people ask. I guess mine is just a reminder of he did what San Francisco built in 2017. Yeah, yeah. His, his biggest flaw right now is that he couldn't sustain it. And yeah. why couldn't he sustain it? Well, it's a myriad of reasons. They've obviously pinned some of that blame on Tom Coughlin for not being able to keep some of these guys, but the biggest one being the quarterback. Again, it sounds like a defense of him. I'm just saying that's the fact. The right. fact is they built what San Francisco has this year for 2017, and it took them about two years to build it. You know, you got to take away 13 and 14. That was such a stripped-down deal that it didn't even factor in. But it took 16, uh, 15, 16, and then 17 to hit. Well, here we are. 18 was bad. 19, can they hit in 20 by making some of the right moves because they found a Minshew kind of quarterback? I don't know the answer. But we're about to find out. Well, and once again, it's all about drafting your guys and then keeping them as well. Because, like we mentioned, Talvin Smith gone, Jalen Ramsey gone for reasons not necessarily to do with contracts, just they're not here anymore. But then you have guys like Allen Robinson too, Brent. Allen yeah. Robinson, mm-hmm. you could have kept him, but maybe he wanted more money. Maybe he wanted to show the money Alan that he was Lazard. asking for. But at the end of the day, <laughs> Alan Lazard as well. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you what, man. Allen Robinson still doing big things in Chicago, and they don't really have a, a good quarterback uh, throwing to him. So it just makes you wonder, man, how many times can you get away with losing the guys that you draft, losing these guys that you can build pillars around? I feel like you can't sustain that forever. Yeah, and one last thing on this, and then I will let you uh, go, John. But I, I, this is not. Uh, this doesn't make it right to lose as much as the Jaguars have lost because – the league is built to be 8-8 eight and eight to be competitive. The league is built to be like the Titans. Titans who look like a eh, pretty average team most of the time end up 9-7, and seven, and then you can make a run. That's yeah. the way the league is built. And the Jaguars have not been able to do that. They've won once in the last dozen years. So that's a problem. It's yeah. a big problem. But I think this last couple of weeks of the playoffs also has proven and should remind us just how hard it is. Yeah. Because the Kansas City Chiefs, who have felt like they've been good, are going to the Super Bowl for the first time in five decades. In 50 years. You think the weights are long around here. How about in Kansas City? And they've had some good players and good teams and good coaches through the years and still have not been able to get to the promised land. And then you look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and we know how talented that guy is. Maybe the most gifted of all in the National Football League. He is what Patrick Mahomes is now. He was and, and continues to be sensational. And he's now been to one Super Bowl, and he still can't get back there. I mean, we saw it with Marino back in, in the day, but it feels like Rodgers is almost that guy. He can't get back. It just shows you how hard it is. That's not an excuse for how bad the Jags have been. But the Jags can still be good and not get there is my point. Well, and here's the sad thing, Brent. You brought up the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you go back to what? It was 2012, I believe. Both teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Kansas City Chiefs, 2-14. Two and, and since then, 
Look at what what, what team's done lately. Another team's done that's lately. That's a great. That's a great call. It's uh, night and day. It's night and day because they they, they hit actually, on their quarterback. Well, they hit on their quarterback and, and their they coach. have Andy Reid. They Reed. got Andy Reid. Yep. And they also, by the way, just in that 13 draft, they had the first pick and they chose Eric Fisher yeah, instead sure. of Jokel or somebody else, yeah. and they made the right move. Now Fisher wasn't great. You can give us a story on him a little bit later, <laughs> but he has turned into a productive player for them, even in a draft that really nobody got a lot of production from back in 2013. All right, John, what you got coming up? Tonight, man. All right, this just in. It's cold. It's the it's the fir- you know what is it? Winter is coming. Winter is here. Yep. Um, and little, the, little Game of Thrones reference. I yep, like it exactly. Um, you know, Florida style, of course, because yeah. uh, we've talked about the Vikings and the Chiefs, where it really is actually very very cold. But it's cold for us here. And so, uh, in fact, uh, I just talked with Stacy Garvilla, who's filling in for Mike today, and she says that we're going to get in some places. Are going to get down into the twenties tonight. Wow. Um, 30s for most of us, but 20s to the north here. Anyway, so... Uh, right? Thank you, Coos. Yes. There was even some clapping in there, though. Who's clapping for that? Oh, my god. A very gosh. depraved individual. Yeah. My, my dog's probably the only one who likes the cold weather. But anyway, so so there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about with that, including um, what a lot of folks are doing um, for, for, for homeless folks, you know, getting them inside tonight. And um, we're also covering a house fire from, I think it was early this morning, um, that may have been started by a space heater, which is, of course, because it was getting cold last night as well. So a lot of stuff to deal with uh, with the cold weather. All right. Uh, thanks, man. We'll uh, keep an eye on it. 5 o'clock, uh, CBS 47 and Fox 35 until 7, 10 o'clock until 1130. Uh, later tonight, John Bachman, Tanika Hughes, Mike Borish, and, uh, well, the entire staff. And, guys, here's to another year. Yes, thank Take you, care. man. Thanks, Thanks. again. All Have right. a good night. Bye. Uh, by the way, we'll be live from uh, the Senior Bowl here in Mobile on Action Sports Shacks on uh, Fox 30 at 6.50, and then uh, later tonight as well reports from the Senior Bowl. All right, uh, back to the origin of this for you. Yeah. I just asked you about a Fisher story. You might have to get into that a little bit. We'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, right now I see players being interviewed by scouts and What's going on? Like, you know it. You went through it. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, man. My first, like, observations this year, a lot has changed. Let's get into that next really? after the second. Okay. A lot right. has changed. All right, we'll talk about it coming up. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We're live from the Reese's Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Thanks for hanging with us. Hope you had a good weekend. Happy Monday, everybody. Yeah, we weren't picked uh, by most people to win our division, and we found a way to not only do that but win a home playoff game and get to this spot. Just kind of felt like it was uh, meant to be almost. So that is a little disappointing, a little more disappointing. Then you realize, you know, you know, I don't have the same number of years ahead of me as I do behind me. So it's uh, slightly more disappointing. That's what happens when you lose, especially when you're that close to the Super Bowl. But you did get the feel that did you almost get the feel watching that game that Green Bay kind of overachieved. Especially in the run defense, it seemed like this whole season. Yeah, I mean. To be fair, and I get it, Green Bay was mounting the comeback towards the end, but in my opinion, it just seemed like they were outmatched. You know, yeah. they, they, they were outgunned and outmatched, and um, I thought you saw that from the from the very first play of the game for, for the 49ers on offense, well, at listen, least. Listen, man, they couldn't fix it. They couldn't stop it. They couldn't mm-hmm. do anything about it, and uh, they kept running the football. So, I mean, when you have – listen, you score 37 points and your quarterback throws eight times. This day and age in the NFL, you were just outmanned, outschemed, out-whatevered. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had nothing to stop it. They, they, you knew they were running, and you couldn't do anything. I mean, some of the lanes. Woo. I mean, Mustard, give him credit. They had a great day, 220 yards. Sure. But some of the lanes, 
I, I mean, mean, I feel like we could have run for a couple. It years was the, the, this was like the, the Jaguars Panthers game this year, right? Where guys weren't disciplined, um, guys were not in their gaps and everything, and just Christian McCaffrey is running running wild. Well. Name your player. Was whether it was Debo Samuel Samuel on the jet sweeps, whether it was Mozart with the four touchdowns, I believe. That's a, that's a good fantasy day. And then you know Tevin Coleman goes down, but they didn't skip a beat when even when he went down. By the way, is there a report what happened to Tevin Coleman? I mean, no. I I heard coming in that it could be. It was elbow at first, and yeah. now it could be lower. I don't even know what shoulder. I'm, I'm I'm just saying. Get carted off the field. I thought the same thing. Carted off Get, the field because of a an arm injury. Just well, see, I thought it was like a wrist injury at first. I'm like, okay. I mean, I get you're in pain, but to get carted off the field, not trying to sound like a hater here, Brent. But if you play in the Super Bowl, I'm gonna raise some suspicions. Okay, just saying. Well, what kind of suspicions? Tevin Coleman. Well, in my opinion, you can't get carted off the field with an arm injury and then play in the Super Bowl two weeks later. I just don't think you can get carted off the field with an arm injury, period. No, that's what I'm saying, Brent. Yeah, well, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. We're, hey, we're on the same page, man. Played in the Super Bowl. We're, we're, on the same, we're on the same team here. Like I thought it was like a serious injury. Maybe it was. But I'm saying if it wasn't that serious of an injury and he does play in the Super Bowl, you can't get carted off the field and two weeks later play in the Super Bowl is what I'm saying with an arm injury. Okay? Yeah, I hear you. So it better be a serious injury is all I'm saying. I, I don't wish any ill will towards anybody. but I understand what you're saying. Hey, yo, good man. You saw Jalen Hurts there for a second and uh, I know. took well, your breath away. It, it, it took my breath away. <laughs> it took your breath away a little bit. Well, what I like to see is, like, where is he going? Because let's track him down and try to get him on. Oh, okay. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, bro, all, all of a sudden, Brent's got that Daniel Jones twinkle in his eye again, man. <laughs> yeah. It's not uh, – it, it's not – Fanboying. <laughs> no, I, I know, man. I know. Uh, He'd be a good guy to have on the show, obviously. Or as, as, as someone walked by, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm always sliding that guy in right here. If yeah. we can, let's No, do for it. sure, so, for sure. Uh, if we can, we will. We'll try to, to grab some of these guys. But well, it hasn't been the case. Like last year, it wasn't the case a lot here. Tomorrow's yeah. the media day where we'll talk to a lot of them and have some of the interviews. Uh, but if we can, if we get the opportunity to slide some folks in here, we certainly will. We're, we're well, here and they're welcome. And was around. it just me or is Jalen Hurts felt like a linebacker? Like, I, I understand, like, after the games, he works out and everything, but it's a big dude. Yeah, I didn't I thought, notice that. Okay. I was, like I said, I was more thinking how we get him on. <laughs> okay, Brent wasn't even looking at him. He was more he was more so less looking through him. Yeah, I, gotcha. yeah, I was. Okay. I was, I was not looking towards the future. Him. I got gotcha. you. You're good, man. Uh, hey, let's welcome in Action Sports Jacks, Marcel Robinson. I guess that we'll have to do instead for now. Oh, yeah, we'll settle for that. I mean, I've won a couple championships myself. <laughs> you good? You good, man? <laughs> yes, and you tell everybody about it. <laughs> three, or five, three or five seasons. Uh, hey, my buddy Jax Boz, uh, listening, said he tore his rotator cuff, couldn't stand up, much less walk from the pain. Somebody tell Boz he's a little soft too. Then. So it's a to- there's a torn rotator cuff. Yeah. <clears throat> man, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm not one to question no, another I'm, man's toughness. I know, man. I mean, do it anyway. I know. It's I'm a just, perfect opportunity. Yeah, I, I'm just reminded where my stepdad always told me when I went snowboarding: if you ever get carted off, you know, because like they have like the ambulance. Oh yeah. The that only way you, seems like a fun ride. The only way you go on the ambulance is if you're knocked out. He said if you tear anything, if you break anything, you better get your butt down the hill because you're not riding on an ambulance or in the wagon uh, unless you're unconscious. Wow. So I always try to apply well, at least by that. Fake it, if yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, 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 the most ironic thing, and shout out to you know Bison as we call him, my stepdad. Uh, he actually got knocked out and had to get a ride on the snowmobile one time. So so he actually has taken that trip before, wow. even though he told me not to take it. By the way, it might be the coolest thing about Austin Lane is that he calls his stepdad Bison. The Bison. That's all I heard. Yeah, Bison. After I, right. I heard that, I stopped paying attention. You're good, man. No, That's what, all you need to hear. Listen, and if you're nicknamed the, the Bison, yeah. 
Well then, you drink a lot. Well, <laughs> not only that, but you better get down the hill. Oh, without a doubt, man. Down. Absolutely. <laughs> you have no choice. Yep. All right. Uh, tell us about your your senior bowl experience and why you think it already looks different. You were here in 2010. Yeah. Uh, you and that was the Tebow year, and that was the Tyson Alawalu year. Yep. Tebow, by the way, congratulations. Married today in South Africa. Um, we didn't get an invite? We couldn't cover that? No, I did. I told everybody I did get the invite, but I had to come to the Senior Bowl. Oh, uh, thanks for, so. <laughs> thanks for well, sacrificing, Brent. Duty, we appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, what, you know, last year we talked a little bit about this. But yeah. I'm, like, I'm more interested in what now. Like, what, What's going on? Yeah, there's some media stuff going on, but there's a lot of scouts and some coaches, and, and they're doing interviews oh, with players. Oh, it's stressful these, right now. Look at these informal guys. informal interviews. I think yeah. later tonight there's more of this that happens, mm-hmm. and then tomorrow they hit the practice field for the first time. But what do they find out about you starting now at the Senior Bowl? And this is a process that really won't end for three months up until the draft. Yeah. Well, as you can see in front of us right now, we have a player going through the interviewing process, and he's writing up um, some stuff on a playbook. I assume he must be an offensive guy because defensive guys don't write that much. But what's going on basically, Brenda, is regardless of the school you came from, when scouts visit you during the college football season, because they all do it, sure, maybe you go on the board a little bit and they come say hi, but they understand that you're a college student and you're a college football player. So they don't, they don't really poke and prod a lot just because they understand. I mean, there's a lot going on in your plate already. This is really the scouts' first time to actually see the player and get a feel for their mindset, especially with the X's and O's, right? Like the, the whole process of the combine of asking the crazy questions and all that, that stuff will come later. This is more of an X's and O's kind of standpoint. Um, thankfully, once again, playing defensive line, didn't really have to go through too much of that. But, you know, we, we've seen a quarterback today sit right behind us, and he spent probably about 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, that was of Jordan just, Love. Yeah, Jordan Love. State. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, uh, typing up some stuff and writing, I guess, schemes and all that. So, um, um, it is definitely a stressful process, to say the least, because every team is looking for something different. Every team has a different philosophy and wants to see something different from you. So basically what you have right now, especially the quarterbacks, getting pulled in every single direction. And keep in mind, none of these interviews are set up, right? They're, they're not scheduled. It's basically a scout saying, hey, you got 10 minutes? Yeah, sure, I'll come talk to you for 10 minutes. Well, then that 10 minutes turns into 30 minutes, yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden you're trying to get some lunch, but you can't leave because you want to make a good first impression. Yeah, I overheard a conversation a little bit earlier. It was like they were talking with a young man about, uh, so you were a track star, and, yeah. and then they were breaking down a play like uh, of an interception. I just kind of mm-hmm. overheard that. I was eavesdropping a little bit. Oh, and, as we all were. And uh, it, it's just interesting. That's what goes on. And they were even bringing up uh, somebody, another player, on the on a certain play. And said, man, he's fast, isn't he? Yeah, you know? yeah. So but it's, just, it's kind of informal. It feels a little bit like you're out to lunch and, and talking about stuff, but it, well, it might feel informal for a player. There's still nerves attached to it. Yeah. And on the other side, there's work being done. I mean, oh, they're learning about these guys, each and every one of them, and taking notes. And, and that was probably the, the most shocking thing to me that I've actually seen this year more than even last year. It was the first thing I said to Marcel when we walked up to kind of set up our stuff here. It's the fact that back in 2010 when I was here, because not only was I training for the combine physically, getting ready for the 40-yard dash and all that good stuff, but at the place we were training at API in Pensacola, they were prepping us for the interviewing process, right? Because that's also a big part. So, you know, it's all about using the, the proper buzzwords, right? Like you, you, you want to be a contributor. Uh, uh, you you, you want to work hard, obviously. Be a leader. Um, you want to compete. You know, it's all these buzzwords <laughs> that you got to throw in the interview. Hopefully these guys are doing it right there. I hope that guy's doing it. But... um. <laughs> 
but but it's weird because they always talked about this is a business meeting, right? So you have to look your best. So no hats, no hoodies, no beanies, nothing like that, because you're almost it's like you're at an interview. Well, nowadays, Brent, if you watch some of these guys at these interviews, you know they're, they're rocking the hats, they're, they're rocking with their hoods up and everything like that, and it doesn't seem to be a problem from the scouting, you know, from the scout's perspective. Back in 2010, man, you couldn't get away with that. Even the scouts would say, "All right." Put your hood down. All right, let's take your hat off. You know, let's be professional here. But now it seems like it is a little more casual. It is a little more of the players getting to be themselves as opposed to, all right, I better sit up straight because I'm going to my job interview now. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, Marcel, you haven't had many interviews like this, but, you know, we bring you back in on the conversation. There's so much. I think a lot of this is over the years, People find the formula to figure it out. Like you just said, you were trained in Pensacola, and they tell you the buzzwords. Yeah. Well, you do that for three or four years, and you hear it, and you come to Mobile, and you're like, oh, my gosh, all these guys are saying the same thing. Of course. Well, then you probably like, you probably advise them. And maybe it's the Jim Naggies of the world, whatever, when he meets with them, and, and they be yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the buzzword stuff. They want to see who you are. No, I don't want the, don't phony up here. Be who you are, and, and, and that's who you are. And I mean... To me, that's almost of utmost importance because you can almost tell when somebody's being phony anyway, right? For sure, and yeah. these guys have been around this thing long enough. They know when somebody's putting on an act. For the most part, might be some people that are really good at it. For the most part, you got to be yourself anyway. I'm sure that's a detector for a lot of these guys anyhow. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that the same way. It's like you said, these guys have been doing it for a long time. I think a lot of the things with scouts and some of these coaches is that because of them doing it for so long, like they know all the ways there are to kind of weave in and out through. How do you get a guy out of his shell to, to get away from that whole, you know, coach speak type of mentality? Um, like we were like, us sitting here watching these guys. They kind of joke with them a little bit, kind of find out what makes them tick. And I'm sure they've contacted all of these guys, you know, high school coaches, college coaches, all their teammates to find out, hey, what's, what's the story on this guy? What's the book on this guy? What do I need to know about him? And they take that information um, and, and, and add it to their interview process. To, to see if they can get the most out of them. I mean, um, like you said, the interviews themselves. I want to say Jalen Hurts was walking through. Um, when he just walked back, he was going for a good 30, 45 minutes uh, mm-hmm. talking to the Tennessee guys. And the guy he walked down there with was a Titans coach. So that might give you a little bit of insight as to what they're thinking with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking, yeah. Well, um, either way, I think they are thinking that. You know, well, I, I mean, think, like, they're definitely doing their due thinking, diligence. We're going to get a new quarterback regardless. We're going to start investing, but, whether it's someone that's going to play right away or not. But, and here's the most insane part about it, Brent, because like, we saw the guy from Utah um, State, meeting for like 35 minutes. Yeah. We just saw Jalen Hurts leave a room probably in there for about 40 minutes or so. They're meeting with the scouts, though. These aren't even the person. Like these aren't the offensive coordinators yeah, yet. Yeah. These aren't the head coaches. These aren't the quarterback coaches. These are just scouts. Like, and I don't make them scared or anything. But wait till you're at the combine and you're in front of the room in front of everybody. Wait till you're at the round table with the GM, the owner, the head coach there, and all the lights are shining on you. Like it gets amplified uh, to the nth degree, to say the least. And by the way, not this week necessarily, but this is the process that I think like a guy like Doug Marone has downplayed a bit. In his years with the Jags, because Tom Coughlin or left it up to the scouting team, or and and I don't know if I fully believe like he didn't have any clue about a guy coming in. I'm not saying that, but I think we'll see him more involved in this kind of process again. Maybe not right here at the Senior Bowl. I'm not even sure he's expected to come here this week to the Senior Bowl as he tries to fill out his staff with the offensive coordinator. Yeah. But my point is those kind of conversations, whether it be at the combine, whether it be at a pro day, those those places, visits, team visits. Mm-hmm. I would think he wants to be more involved with that. And, again, I say that from a coach's perspective that 
I want to know what guy I'm getting. Like, I want to at least have a good feel for a guy. And you can't always nail that. Listen, anybody who's done interviews before, first of all, if you've done an interview on your own and you know you've tried to BS your way through some part of it. <laughs> of course. Or secondly, anybody who's performed an interview and you kind of put your detector on and then you're like, I don't really have a good feel for this person or I do or don't or kind of a mix. You always will have that. But if I'm the head coach, I'm going to coach this young man coming in, potentially. I really want to know something that I can grab onto, that I might even see that as some of his strengths. might even know that some of his weaknesses before he even walks in the door and we draft him or sign him. I think those things are really important. And I, maybe it's the part that gets left out of this whole process that we, from the outside, don't give enough credence to. Is that, yes, you have to be a good football player. You'll hear the word leader a lot, especially around the quarterback position. Good teammate. Yeah. But you, there is more to it from a scout and coaching perspective that you really have to find that fit. You have to be, you have to know how to read people. You don't have to know how to just see a guy run fast and see his radius when he's trying to catch a football and all those things. Yeah, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. But you better be able to read people and find out if they're a good fit for whatever program you're trying to produce, whatever culture you have in the building. And I'm really interested in the Doug Marone and the Jags part of that this year now that I believe he'll have a little bit more hands-on approach to that in 2020 and this uh, next few months. Well, and that's why I'm so adamant about that advantage that you have if you're the Bengals or the Lions this year and you actually get yeah. to coach these teams. Because a Essentially, yeah, it's one thing to sit down with a, you know, a, a scout and you pick the, the player's brain for 30 minutes, next is a nose. All right, that's very cool. But essentially what you have right now, if you're the Bengals coach or the Lions coaches or if the Jaguars coaches a couple years ago when they coached this game is you get to take them through the ringer. You, you get to see how these guys respond to an NFL-style practice, yep. how they respond to NFL-style meetings. And don't get me wrong, probably that first day everyone's on their best behavior, everyone's trying to impress and, you know, yes, sir, I'll get here, sir. But by day two, by day three, when guys are tired, when there's a little bit of exhaustion, when there's a little bit of mental fatigue, you find out what guys are made of, and you find out how guys learn. Some guys maybe don't pay attention. Some guys taking notes. But if you're in those meetings, if you're on that field in those drills, in those huddles, it's such a distinct advantage, Brent, because you know exactly what kind of guys are going to fit your system. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Do you remember anything from 2010 with the Jags specifically from this week? Uh, it was a yeah. long process. I yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. But anything from this week that jumps out at you, you remember, or maybe well, with another yeah. team, if it wasn't the Jags. Yeah. No. So actually, I kind of had it made because I didn't get here until Wednesday afternoon. Because what happened you was were a late ad. I was a late ad. So Jerry Hughes, who was a player from TCU, I think he's still in the league actually playing for the Bills. The Bills, I think out, still, yeah. Outside linebacker. So he opted um, not to come to the Senior Bowl. I got the late call, so I was a late addition, you know. And obviously, I was excited. So I show up, man, Wednesday night and. For me, man, it was it was a whirlwind, right? Because I had to get make sure my pads were here. Um, I had to rock this just plain white helmet, so I was absolutely swaggerless on the practice field. It was what it was, but um, so I, I had to get caught up to speed really quick. So I didn't really have time to you know have these meetings with scouts and everything. Because by the time I got here, we're getting ready to play a game pretty soon, so they couldn't really meet with me and everything like that. So the, the combine was a little more strenuous for me than the Senior Bowl was. That makes some sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you think you did anything though that week that got people's attention? You almost. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. Right? I mean, you're from Murray State. Nobody yeah. has a clue who the heck you are. Yeah. And you're a late ad on top of that, yep. so they're probably like, okay, whatever. You know, yeah. there's a little bit of whatever to that, yep. uh, whether you like it or not. That's just reality. And what did you do that those couple yeah. of days leading into that game? I know what you did in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Scored a touchdown. Yeah. That was cool. Which was cool. But yeah. what did you do leading well, up that maybe got 
get people to say, hey, I'm Austin Lane. It's funny because I've actually talked to a Packers scout about this. I've talked to Chris Krasirik, who's now the defensive line coach of the 49ers, was my defensive line coach at the Senior Bowl from the Lions at the time, and I've talked to Joe Cohen about this, and they all said the same thing. Where I helped myself out a lot was my hustle. Because, and I'll be honest, man, and I think I've told this story before a little bit. So we had the Lions coaching staff. You know, Schwartz at the time was the head coach. Uh, Gunther Cunningham, I believe, was a defensive coordinator. And we were going against the Dolphins coach in the south side, on the, the south team. So we had the very first practice of the day. So, dude, believe me when I say this wasn't like, all right, it's an all-star game, it's a Pro Bowl thing. This is gas balls. This is pursuit drills at 100 miles per hour. We got guys cussing at you. I'm like... Dude, am I back in college right now? I thought, this was, I thought this was like an honor to be at the senior bowl here, and I had this guy cussing at me because I'm not running fast enough. So like training camp. Yeah, so it was literally a training camp again. But then fast forward, we're watching the NFL Network. We want to see what the South's doing, right? So we're all watching the NFL Network. Dude, the South is just chilling. They're going through walkthroughs. Helmets are not even on. Helmets are scattered across the lines. No one's rocking in a clear uniform. It's just... Dude, it's Club Med, and I'm thinking, wow, I definitely got the wrong end of that side. But what helped me out, Brent, is like I said, when I talked to those two defensive line coaches and I talked to that Green Bay Packers scout, they said I really made my money because the way I hustled, because I finished every drill with reckless abandonment. And that's where I really made my money because they said, you know what, yeah, maybe my technique, needed some work, like remember my hands needed some work, but my get off, my tenacity, my ability just to you know just to get in some guy's face and not back down, that's what really got me um above everybody else. That's interesting too, because my take on it is a good call. Yeah. This feels like it's an honor to be here. Yeah. So it almost it's like the Pro Bowls this week. Well it's a senior bowl, that's for colleges. But it's not that. It's it's not an all star game. Like no, you know, it's if not. you know the under armor game for high school, that's an all star game. You've already been recruited for the It's a most. showcase. Yeah, yeah. You're not, you might commit to a school, but you're, that's not a job interview. You've already been interviewed through that process for the most part. In the NFL, the Pro Bowl, well, it is what it is. But this game is different. The Shrine Bowl, this one, although it feels like an honor to be here, you got to turn well, that edge on and be like, oh, wait a minute. I got my briefcase with me today. Yeah. I better bring it. And listen, man, shout out to Sam Young of Notre Dame, offensive tackle, who might still <laughs> be in the league. Jags. Play with the Jags a little bit. Uh, my, my very first fight, at, well, you know, I'm, since college, basically, but it was my very first fight going into my NFL career. Uh, my literally, like, my first pass rush of the day, um, I hit him with a swim move, beat him. Felt like he held me a little too long after the whistle, so I pushed him back. And the best part was, and my friend's got this extra recorded on his phone. So, because, you know, everything's done live. So, like, they're doing the drills and everything. Well, it's one-on-one. It's one of the best drills to watch. So, I beat Sam Young. He holds me. I go to the quarterback. I run back and push him. And I might have had a few choice words. Well, those few choice words might have leaked on the NFL Network a little bit. And they actually had to cut off us then. And then all of a sudden, they go from the one-on-one drills, defensive, offensive linemen. And they go to some, like, running back drills just because they didn't want to, you know, have that bad language on NFL Network. You set the table right away. Setting the table, man. I mean, you were fighting in the senior bowl. Fighting in the senior bowl, dude. Unbelievable. I know, man. I had a temper, Brent. I'm sorry. Ten years later. A decade later. Fighting in the cage. Sam Young, but it's nothing but love, baby. He was a tall dude. He was like 6'8", by the way. Big boy. Yeah. He hung out with the Jets for a long time. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. Um, kind of just uh, an extra piece, a little depth uh, for the Jaguars for a long time. Uh, hey, we're going to come back. We're going to take a look at last year's roster. One other thing you said, by the way, I can't imagine everybody doesn't hustle. 
You'd be surprised, honestly. I know. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. To not, I'm not going to name any names. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I know a couple guys who were. Yeah, I don't know. I think just from some, watching some of the little bit of practice last year, I don't know if it was because of the rain, but there was definitely you know some kind of let, letting up a little yeah, bit last that's year. That surprises me. Some of the guys from last year, what, where are they now? Like, how did last year's roster do in the NFL this year? Take a look at it. Coming up on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I think it's that never give up mentality. It's it's that we're going to go out there and give our best effort every single play and really take advantage of every single play the rest of the game. And uh, we, we don't care if we're down 10-0. We don't care if we're up 10-0. We're going to go out there and execute and do whatever we can to have success on every single play. Well, it usually works out for Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. They are tough. They have so many weapons on the offensive side of things. And by the way, Sammy Watkins, welcome back oh, to the football team. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's uh, you kind of start like you finish, right? I mean, good Lord. The guy tears the Jaguars apart. Kind of disp- I don't think he had a touchdown since that, the, that last playoff game. No, then, yesterday was his first one since. Yeah. And so, I mean, incredible to think you went that far on that offense where almost anybody could get. Uh, again, I mean, I feel like I could catch a touchdown pass eventually. Sure. I mean, Blake Bell got one last week. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no knock against Blake. I'm just saying that's kind of how it is. I mean, yep. anybody can get him. It's funny because I watched a game uh, the last couple of weeks with Ty, and Ty's like, well, why don't they go get a corner, or why don't they go get this, or why don't they just trade one of their receivers? And, and – my view on it is what makes them so difficult is the fact that they come at you in numbers and so many can beat you. If you take one away, they become easier to defend. I'm not saying they're easy and they're not good, but they become easier to defend. I mean, if you got rid of Watkins, if you even got rid of a Demarcus Robinson, it takes away some of the things that you can do, even if they might not be playing at a Pro Bowl level. Those are the decoys in their offense are well, real. Like I mean, Tyreek Hill is used as a decoy half the time. Absolutely, and even if you have you don't have Robinson, well then here comes Miko Hardman out of nowhere, there you and, go. and then that guy's another dynamic guy. It's like they just have so many weapons, Brent, and it's like I kind of talked about in my breakdown against the Titans. What you have to do to stop the Chiefs. It wasn't like the Ravens where you can just say, all right, we're going to take away the middle of the field, beat us on the outside. No, man. If you try to game plan against the Kansas City Chiefs, you have to try to game plan stopping this guy, stopping that guy, and stopping that guy. And, and soon enough, you're, it's like you're in a boat, and it's like you're sinking. And, there's, and there's, there's all these holes. And you only have so many plugs to plug up the holes, but there's more water coming in and coming in. And that's how Kansas City beats you. It's just so many ways. And don't forget, the running game, too. Not too shabby, uh, you know, in the AFC Championship game. No, they ran pretty well yesterday, including the quarterback uh, with Patrick. That Bowles. helps as well. Uh, 56 yards and in that incredible 27-yard run. You know, people lose sight of Mahomes is a sh- he's a shifty guy and he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a small guy. No, he's not. Uh, and so he might not be like electric moving, but he's not an easy takedown. He's kind of like Andrew Luck in that sense. You know, mm-hmm. where I feel like he's a he's he's so stocky that you better bring when you go to bring him down, you better bring him down. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing, I think, even with Patrick Mahomes. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Marcel Robinson back here at uh, the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, one more question about the Chiefs. All those guys you mentioned, all the receivers they have, the speed they have, I still, if you gave me one pick, I'd take Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I think he is the difference. The difference. He is more of a difference maker, in my opinion, than Tyreek Hill. Am I crazy? See, I think you're crazy from the standpoint of with Tyreek Hill, you can do a lot of things with him. 
He can be that one receiver on the outside, do those fly routes. He can be the slot receiver. He can be the guy you send in jet motion and hand the ball off. He can do so many different things. But to be fair, Brent, with Travis Kelsey, you're talking about a guy who is the ultimate red zone threat. You're talking about a guy who one-on-one, He's hard to match up against because he's too big to, for, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's too big for essentially a, a safety to get on him, and he's too quick for a linebacker to cover him. So he is a mismatch there. I would probably lean towards Travis Kelsey myself, but I think it's really close to call with, with Tyreek Hill. Who you got? I, I think it's Travis Kelsey without a doubt. I mean, I, I think that guy, he's, I mean, with all the weapons that the Chiefs have, I think Travis Kelsey is by far and away the only one that's unguardable. I mean, I mean, Tyreek Hill is obviously, you know, your deep threat. He, he's your home run guy. But if you can find a way to knock him off his route, mess up the timing between him and uh, Mahomes, like you saw it last night, there was one play. I, I think it was one when Mahomes got sacked. He wanted Tyreek Hill to keep going. Yeah. And Tyreek cut off. So if you can mess up that timing a little bit, you can do that with Tyreek Hill. You can do that with Demarcus Robinson. You can do that with even Miko Harbin, who's kind of a similar type of guy with Tyreek Hill. I mean, with Travis Kelsey, I mean, you can be just on the guy. I mean, you've seen this guy make catches where he's basically giving guys piggyback rides on, you know, when you're in the red zone, I mean, they're they're shading guys to his side, and he's still running this route, and they've got him manned up. I mean, the dude, he catches everything except for third and seven um, <laughs> first quarter. Um, but other than that, I mean, he's clearly their, their best threat. You know he's getting the ball, and he gets the ball anyway. And I understand, listen, he benefits from all the other guys, too. Like, I get it. I'm not sure, like, he would do all this, but... There was a play in the game yesterday. I forget what. I I don't even know if I was listening to the radio at the time or uh, if I was watching. But they said something about like there was this man principal, and then he saw them shift to a zone on defense. So they're showing man to shift to a zone, and so then he just found himself and sat in the in the zone and made the read. And that's probably a simplistic play and something you're supposed to do. But I think the savviness, the veteran experience of that, the ability to know that connection, he feels like he's been playing with Mahomes now for 20 years already. And also he's got this attitude that that I don't think any other player on that Chiefs team gives. I mean, you know what you play. No, for sure. So he's that guy. He's a guy you like to hate a little bit. But you need a little bit of that on on a team like this. And he is that. He gives the team personality. I always say, I think offenses and defenses need personality, yeah. and he is kind of their personality, and if you look at it, every time they need a big play, whether it's fourth and three, third and five, he's usually the guy they go to. And I'm going to be honest, man, I, I got Travis Kelsey stories for days, because we hung out a couple <laughs> of times, but I'll be honest with you, man, because I, I played for the Chiefs his rookie year when he came in, and my initial thought of Travis Kelsey was... I don't know if this guy is really going to make it. He had all the athletic gifts, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying from a standpoint of a dude who like would cause a scene in practice, like a loose cannon to say the least. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm reminded of, you know, we're in training camp and everything, and we're going ones versus ones. Um, you know, Kelsey scores a touchdown, and, like, the traditional thing to do, especially as a rookie, is you run the, you run the ball back to the quarterback or the coach, and you, you, you do the play again. Well, Travis Kelsey scores a touchdown and literally punts the ball into the stands and like has to stop practice for everybody. Like th- this is a rookie doing that. You know what I'm saying? So I always thought that he was gonna kind of like I don't know if he's got the mentality like for it, but out, exactly. Yeah. But but you've seen the guy growing, growing, and to me. It's not only Travis Kelsey though, Brent. It's that entire offense like we talked about, and to me, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. You talk about taking risks in the draft. 
I mean, if you look at even when when I was back in 2010 when I was getting drafted, they drafted a guy by the name of Dexter McCluster. Dexter McCluster was the short, shifty guy out of Ole Miss, but he was he was like that Miko Hardman, right? He was like that Tyreek Hill type. It's almost like the Chiefs have a a type of guy that they're looking for, and it's a guy that kind of goes between the cracks sometimes because maybe he's not big enough, maybe his 40-yard dash wasn't the best, but he's shifty, he's elusive, and you can do a lot of things with him. So I feel like the Chiefs kind of have that type that they're always looking for, and they always reload that type. Yeah, I mean, Kelsey's unbelievable. I mean, I will say that offense is unbelievable. It's just the way they've built it, it's it's absolutely incredible. So that brings us to how the heck do the Jags do it, and I don't know the answer. Nobody seems to know the answer. It hasn't been able to happen to be dynamic as that on offense, except keep drafting people and drafting people and never think you have enough, and then, of course, find the quarterback too. But part of that is finding the offensive coordinator. Jaguars are searching for that, and obviously the names that came out Thursday and Friday and into the weekend Names that we kind of heard rumbling around town a little bit, including Jay Gruden. So I'll give you the names that are out there. We really don't know. Jay's been quiet on this part, and and that's expected. Jay Gruden, guy like Scott Linehan, and obviously Ben McAdoo have been out there and, and rumored who you got, if you could pick. I'm not saying who you, who's, who do you think is going to get the job. Yeah. Who would you? Who do you think would be the best fit in 2020 for the Jags to be successful? Go ahead, first Marcel. Oh man, I kinda, you want me to go first? <laughs> I, kinda, I don't know. I think I lean a little bit more towards Linehan just because I feel like the way the Cowboys kind of ran their offense is similar to how the Jaguars want to run their offense. Um, obviously, you know, um, run everything through the through, through the rush with the running back, and then hopefully, you know, open up the play action and get it kind of downfield with some dynamic receivers. Um, to be honest with you, I don't I don't really know if I'm in love with either one of them. I mean, it's, it feels like we're kind of picking into the NFC East recycling bin to find a guy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what's going to happen. Yeah. You've got basically, hey, come on to Jacksonville for we can promise you one year, and that's it. What else is interesting about this is they're all guys that have coaching experience, head coaching experience, and it's a little reminiscent of – you know, when the Gus Bradley thing was going downhill, he comes back for a year, and Doug Marone comes in, and, well, he might be there to take over in case. Yeah. Jaguars don't really have that guy right now. I mean, Dom Capers, if he stays on board, is kind of that guy. So this offensive coordinator could become that guy in a pinch if things don't go well in 2020 and maybe moving forward. And therefore, in a you know, from a selfish standpoint, that could be a reason to come to Jacksonville for one of these folks. It could be, hey, do my job, opportunity might knock, and you never know what happens. It worked out for Doug Marone that way. And I'm not saying that's how it was crafted, sure. but sometimes that's the way it works out. And listen, if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm bringing an offensive coordinator that can cater to my quarterback needs, and that's catered to Gardner Minshew. And I think if you look at that list right now, and I get it, McAdoo, we talked about, worked with Aaron Rodgers before, Aaron Rodgers vouches for him. But at the same time, in my opinion, he made a mistake by benching Eli. Manning, and that's what eventually got him fired. So from the quarterback decisions with McAdoo, he's made some decent ones, obviously, but he's had some questionable calls as well. If it's up to me, I'm going Gruden. Okay, I, I think Gruden, obviously, he's kind of that household name, so fans can get excited about that. But from more of a philosophy standpoint, in my opinion, Gruden was never dealt with the four-fold deck. Whether it was the quarterback getting hurt, whether it was probably their best receiver in Jordan Reed always having concussions, the guy never seemed to have a full deck to work with, but I think he made the best with what he had. Keep in mind, he had Adrian Peterson in the backfield. He had a, a laundry list of injuries at the other running back positions. So I think Gruden is definitely the most intriguing perspective from the standpoint of, 
we don't really know where this guy's ceiling is because he doesn't, he doesn't really have a lot to work with on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I'd probably go Gruden in my yeah, standpoint. Listen, I, I think I like Gruden for a couple of reasons. When he did have success as a play caller, they all have had success yeah. as a play caller. They wouldn't be interviewing for the job. But he did okay with Dalton and Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you that, that that's a tough job. And the chaos of the Redskins, what it's been, and how we had to handle things, well, this isn't the most perfect job right now in Jacksonville. There's, it's chaotic to a degree. And so he might fit and be able to handle all that noise mm-hmm. and kind of mud his way through it and kind of get to the bottom line of producing points and, and helping Gardner Minshew or, or this offense out. And, and why do I have this feeling? And this is just totally a feeling because I really have no idea about Jay Gruden. I don't know him. But I feel like him and Minshew could be a fit together. Like, I, can you know, I, I can definitely see that. He's, he's obviously younger, so yeah. to me, maybe the youth helps out. Yeah, um, He's not super young, but he's younger than, say, a Linehan, right? I think he's 56 or 58. And, and I don't know if that matters. I just feel like, personality-wise, the Grudens, Vinci, I just feel like they have a chance to maybe mesh, and um, that's just a guess. I, I don't know from the outside of it. I like the idea of a guy like... Uh, like group with Minshew if they're moving forward with Gardner. Well, and then also keep in mind with McAdoo, too, right? He's kind of the household name. People can recognize him, but he is a Tom Coughlin guy. And even when he took over as a head coach of the New York Giants, he preached he's going to understand the millennials. He's going to cater to the players. What happened during the season? He had those guys going 80% during walkthroughs, much to the chagrin of a lot of those players. Not saying that's wrong on the players' part, but I'm just saying if you're dealing with such a young team like Jacksonville, and I understand the offensive coordinator is not going to be calling the shots of how practice is going to be ran, but at the same time, we just got rid of Tom Coughlin. Do you really want another Tom Coughlin disciple, a Tom Coughlin guy that believes in his philosophy of working hard and everything? like that do you really want one of those guys back in the office as well yeah it is interesting the tie to, to Coughlin a bit but I don't, how much of a tie they ended up going with him you know it's it's, well, it's interesting with Coughlin now right doing it doing it 80 percent on Saturdays man for walkthroughs <laughs> is pretty aggressive in my part I'm just saying I get you yeah uh, you know it, it, you remind me of that though even the you know we've talked about how Coughlin kind of is the guy that they're putting a lot of the fault on he's the one change mm-hmm. now Steve Filippo is also a change it was like that for New- in New York, too. I mean, when yeah. he got out of New York, it was Coughlin, and then everybody else stayed. Uh, though that didn't really work. Uh, you know, McAdoo didn't work out there. So, it, Jags, uh, from an OC standpoint, unless they've named something in the last little bit, uh, still a little bit quiet going through the interview process. I really believe this will be done in the next couple of days. This is the week where a lot of that stuff gets done. And I, I would imagine the Jaguars, uh, with the interviews that have been reported, that they'll have something in place here in the next couple of days. And... I know it's it's more probably the sizzle than the steak, but the Gruden is the one that kind of would get people at least interested more. You're yeah. not going to – listen, I don't know what great hire you can make in this job. I mean, there's only 32 teams. There's only 32 offensive coordinators. It's a, it's a great gig in the NFL. But right now, no one coming in that you, you might only have one year, that's not the most attractive thing. No. So it's not surprising they're going with Linehan and McAdoo, guys that have been not, not really in the league, yeah. coming over from another team. Linehan out of the league last year, you know, after yeah. getting dumped by the Cowboys. Yeah, listen, this is not the Carolina Panthers where you essentially won the offseason Super Bowl. Fans are riding in the streets celebrating the Carolina Panthers, hiding, hiring Matt Rule, and then getting an offensive coordinator. 
it's not like that at all for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're literally just, once again, you're trying to put a band-aid over something and just make it work for a year, and hopefully it works out where we can go forward with it. So at the, at the end of the day, you have to have a guy with experience. You have to have a guy who's been there before. And I think out of the candidates, I think Gruden is probably the best of those candidates. Yeah, I'd be pretty interested to see uh, how it all uh, shakes out. And again, isn't the first question you ask, which quarterback do you want to go with? That's, that's, that's the only question. That's the only question. <laughs> it's like... You, it could be just process of elimination based on what the Jaguars want to do and Doug Marone, which, again, I've always I've said for the last three weeks, I think is go with Gardner Mitchell. But if Scott Linnan comes and says, hey, man, we need, you should really be going with Foles, mm-hmm. uh, the interview might go bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could. I mean, it just depends where your philosophy is on that front. All right, take a break in a couple minutes. Coos, uh, let's uh, hit that happy hour horn, though. It was born here exactly a year ago. Drink, get a shot, tip your star tenders. All right, uh, happy hour horn born right here in Mobile. Oh, Alabama, yeah. Right out this window. There's a horn, like, right outside the hotel here. Almost had a heart attack. And you heard it loud and clear. You got warned by a, a, a nice lady. Yeah. To watch out for it. Called me sugar, which which I, I can always appreciate yeah. from, from, a, from a kind old sweet lady. Um, she told me to watch out. I said, watch out for what? And all of a sudden, a horn goes off, and eardrums were almost bleeding, but it scared the crap out of me. But out of that, Brent, out of that pain... Grew something special, and that is the happy hour horn. <laughs> so I was glad to take one for the team from that standpoint. Very good. Uh, I don't know where you're saying. Hmm? Take a shot. I don't know where all that. Oh, I, I showed that story before. Yeah, remind us again. So grab a drink, take a shot, and uh, grab a drink, get a shot, tip your star tenders. So there's a place in Eau Claire, Wisconsin called That's The Pickle. Right. Aaron Rodgers has been there before. A lot of NFL players have been there before. But one of my friends was the DJ there, and every time I came in, he would say, grab a drink, get a shot, and tip your star tenders. Yeah, so in honor of him. What's his name? Uh, D- what was it? It was DJ Kyle, I think, or something like that. <laughs> Pretty original, if you ask me. <laughs> DJ Kyle. <laughs> so, if go, so if we go back there, are we going to the pickle? Oh, we're definitely going to the pickle. We can go to the pickle, and we can go to the broth. Oh, beautiful. I like yeah. both. Well, t- to be fair, the pickle's more of like the upscale kind of like cool place, and then the brat's like the grimy, smells like turpentine, uh, <laughs> kind of a shady spot. But but they're both fun in their unique standpoints. All right. Yeah. We're going. Let's Sounds do like it. an authentic experience. Yeah, man, for sure. We're going to give you the whole Wisconsin experience. <laughs> uh, Marcel, how many cops did we see on the way over? Uh, that'd be 20. 20. Yeah. Yeah. There were 20 cops. That's because they knew he was coming for them. On I-10. That is not an exaggeration. No. In the first three hours, there were 17 of them. Yeah. Which, is, which is not normal for them to be in packs of three and four uh, every quarter mile. I'm telling before. you, man, you have to reach that quota. That's almost the end of the month. you got to reach not, the but quota. But it's not. It's, the it's like the 20th. It's, it's we got plenty of time. For that. That well, starts I don't know, man. That was incredible. Seriously, yeah. how many police we saw in the first few hours especially. Yeah. And 
I don't know if I should be happy that we didn't get pulled over hey. or mad at myself for not going fast enough to get pulled over. Uh, I'm just saying there's a few times I was nervous for you. Because uh, you were definitely flirting with the limit a little bit, let's be honest. There were a couple no, lookbacks. Brent, excuse me? Excuse me, Brent? I feel, like, I feel like we need to out your speed because my speed was outed uh, quite frequently on the trip to Atlanta last year. Well, we, we did get pulled, pulled over, over twice. <clears throat> yes, you did. So Not one, but twice. Twice. But twice. how many tickets did I get? None. There None. we go. Yep. <laughs> Uh, when we come back, uh, we talk more about the NFL, more here at the Senior Bowl. And what are the guys that played in this game last year, including Brock Armstead, Will Greer, Gardner Minshew. Brent's boy, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones. What a find by me last year here at the Senior Bowl. Martin O'Watch. Might have to quit. Set up my resume <laughs> and be a scout. I, I mean, were we really that impressed with them this season? <laughs> Uh, all right. Yeah, I mean, Saquon Barkley is pretty good, too. Joe Judge likes him. Yeah. <laughs> so does uh, Jason Garrett. You, you heard it here first from Brent Martin, everybody. Daniel Jones. <laughs> uh, or that discussion next. Faction Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I'm open-minded about the process. You know, at the same time, I'm, you know, I love playing football, and I want to continue to play and do a great job. So I'm looking forward to what's ahead, whatever the future may bring. I'll embrace it with open arms. Well, that's Tom Brady, Patriots quarterback for now. Because he technically could be anybody's quarterback and saying he's open to anything in 2020. Is that leverage? Is that predicting the future? Pretty wild, the quarterbacks that are now on the open market, potentially, with Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady. Throwing Ronnie Daniel in there as well. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what happens. But, uh, I mean, it's really wild that those two quarterbacks with those resumes are on the open market and not really sure what is going to transpire and who will be interested in both those guys because of the top dollar in their age and, and potentially the decline in play. Brett Martineau, Austin Lane, Marcel Robinson back at the Senior Bowl, Mobile, Alabama, joined now by Ryan O'Halloran, friend from uh, Jacksonville, of course, from the Florida Times Union prior, now the Denver Post. What's happening, man? Oh, there from, you go. I flew from Denver to Dallas to Mobile, and it, it took me shorter than it takes to drive from Jacksonville. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't miss that drive. Yeah, you but, said, that was the first thing you said to me. I don't miss that drive. But um, real quick, you mentioned the veteran quarterback thing. This is this is going to be a sensational offseason for that very reason, because you don't know if these guys are going to play. Yep. And also, who's the first domino to fall? I mean, if you're a team, you better not be all in on Tom Brady. Sure. You better have plans B and C. To me, Rivers is the wild card. I think whatever he does, the rest will fall in line. It's pretty clear now, though, that Tom Brady's not going to retire. He says he wants to play more. Is it as clear for, for Rivers? I don't think so because, I mean, his numbers really fell off this year. Um, he threw a lot of interceptions. I mean, his best game of the year is probably against the Jaguars. Well, oh, what yeah. else is new? But I'm yeah. sure a lot of quarterbacks <laughs> are that way. But, yeah. but I don't, like, a big deal is going to be made about relocating his family. Well, there's a thing called private airplanes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if he gets a, a deal from Carolina, and, you know, I'm sure they'll put a deal in there where he can fly home on Mondays or something like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I the, think the tax differences alone could pay for wheels up. <laughs> no kidding. So I mean, he had his own RV when he was in Southern California. Sure. But to me, 
to me, like, you've heard Brady say, even before he said he was going to play, going out like that doesn't really bother him because he knew he didn't have a very good team. I think it does eat at Phillip Rivers the way he played this year. He wants another kick at the can, I think. Yeah, that's a good call. Uh, Ryan O'Halloran with us from the Denver Post. Good to see you again here in uh, Mobile. We start the circuit now. See you at the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. The draft, uh, maybe. Are you going to Vegas? No draft. No draft. Broncos draft 15th. Eh. We're, we're, so you're going with 9 and 20? 9 and 20. Okay. Well, he's, he's more going for because it's Vegas, but. Well, we know Brent. Yeah, I was going to say, stay out of those sports books, man. The Strip Martineau. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, I thought you only had hey, that's a, a good thought, I, thought, I like that. Can that live? That's good. That's good. I, I don't have to tell my kids about it's that. It's going to be on the intro. I like it. I thought you had a top five cutoff. Or yeah. are you going with two picks this year? It's we, well, yeah, we kind of did, but I mean, top ten it's still pretty important. And we've been going to the draft, we've been doing shows around it, so we're not dying. Uh, heck, we went when it was twenty-eight. Oh, Taven Bryan's here. Yeah. Okay. So I remember we did a couple stand-ups years ago in front of Radio City. Yes, I know. Uh, Jokel and Bortles, those oh two God. years. <laughs> <laughs> that was then. Uh, this is now, uh, and. Maybe Gardner Minshew is the key. Sixth. You go to the sixth round now. You maybe we'll go on Saturday instead of on Thursday and, to the draft for the Jags. And then I think that's what this week is important for teams is from what I've been told early on, you know receivers loaded in this yeah, draft. Absolutely. But it's also a mutter draft. Guards, centers, inside linebackers. You go you go post first round, I think there could be a lot of value for teams like the Jaguars who have some extra capital there, like the Broncos who have two threes and three fours. That they're gonna be these aren't gonna be a lot of first rounders here this week, but there's gonna be a lot of value that these teams can take a look at. Ryan, Brent and I were talking about where do the Jaguars where do they need to draft, you know, the most? And I think we can both agree tight end is definitely a position of need. You know, that they draft Josh uh, I'm sorry, Josh Oliver this past season. He gets hurt, doesn't get to really play in a game. We're not sure what he's capable of. And you're familiar with obviously Noah Fant, Hawkinson goes to the Detroit Lions, but I'm from the philosophy of yeah, you could probably draft a tight end high, but Will you get that immediate production that you're so much craving? Because this is a must. This is literally a make or break year for this Jaguar staff. So aren't you kind of better suited maybe going for the free agent route? Maybe a Hunter Henry, maybe an Austin Hooper, and then take care of your draft pick someplace else. Yeah, it, it's it also who's the coordinator? Correct. You know, how much? Do, how much? Do they, <laughs> I wish I knew. Right you know, now. let's say it's Drake, Jay Gruden. Yeah. Well, he emphasizes the tight end. You know, he would have had Jordan Reed would have been an All Pro had he stayed healthy in that offense. I don't think. If the Jaguars bypass it in free agency, I, I think nine is too high. This is not that kind of draft. But Cole Komet from Notre Dame, who said originally I'm staying, that he probably was told, go, yeah. you're going to be a first-rounder. <laughs> I think he makes a lot of sense for the Jaguars in, with their second first-round pick, even if they want to move down. You know, The thing about these free agent tight ends, Hunter Henry, big injury history. Yep, yeah. um, you know. Other, I can't Hooper. even think of other guys off the top of my head. Austin Hooper. Hooper, yeah, and uh, so he was banged up a little bit this year. He was, year correct, with, so yeah. I, I think a lot depends for the Jaguars is you have X amount of dollars. How much are you going to create by moving on from guys? And how are you going to spend that money? And that's that's where the Jaguars are in, interesting spot is. Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone, back. But this is a, this is a one-year deal. How does that impact their spending? How does that impact their drafting? Do they package those, do they package nine and twenty one, and try and move up into the top six or seven to make sure they get somebody like Isaiah Simmons? 
a, a lot of moving pieces for the Jaguars and a lot of guesswork because of their situation. Yeah, it is. Well, it's a balance between now and when now so we, we can keep this thing moving forward for those guys and what's better for the franchise moving forward. Well, let's be honest. I'm sure the New England Patriots will probably get, uh, they'll probably get Hunter Henry and Austin Hooper at the same time anyways, and they're probably going to both sign them to free agent deals. That's just what the Patriots seem to do these well, days. And then, and then they're going to trade up and get Tua. Yeah, there you go. Exactly, because that's, the, that's the most Patriot thing to do. Hey, a couple of quick questions for you. You know the Gruden stuff well, uh, your days in Washington. Uh, the Gruden, the Linehan, McAdoo are kind of the names. Mm-hmm. They do anything for you, and... and you know Gruden a bit, but I mean, would you lean toward him? Yeah, I miss I miss Jay by two years in Washington, okay. but familiar with his offense. You know, he was, had success with Kirk Cousins, was having success with Alex Smith, so it's a pliable system. And you know, I think that's what a lot of people make the mistake of is they hire a guy, well, he doesn't like these players. Well, part of being a coordinator is adjusting to the personnel. You can't get 25 guys on scholarship. So let's say it's Jay Gruden. But, hey, let's look at it from the cynical and realistic view. If I'm Jay Gruden, I'm looking at the Jaguars saying, hey, I'm calling plays again, and I may get a shot to be the interim. Yeah, and sure. that has to be that has to be in the mind of the Jaguars when they bring in somebody like that. And really, when they when they parted ways with Filippo so late, you sort of figured they were going to go the older route with somebody who wanted to get back in regardless of the situation. I think Jay Gruden would be a great play caller for the Jaguars. I think be a great fit for Gardner Minshew. You think they're going Minshew? Um... I think I th- if I was them, I would declare a guy after after minicamp and say, hey, Austin, you're my number one going into camp, so you have a month to prepare for it. A competition does nobody any good, at least in my view. Make a decision. I would go with Minshew because after next year, you can maybe move on from Foles a lot easier. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, let me ask you this, too. And Brent always tells me this. Like we shouldn't be wrapped up in the players' feelings all the time, which I do agree with him a little bit. But with a guy like Nick Foles, to go from a Super Bowl MVP, to come to Jacksonville, to get paid like you're going to be the man going forward, and then to kind of take a back seat to Gardner Minshew and be that backup quarterback. Listen, I get it. We've seen the sound bites in press conferences. He seems like a pretty, you know, even keel kind of guy, and that could be a distraction. But do you think even Nick Foles would have a problem with being the backup quarterback and maybe cause some, I guess, adversity in that locker room? I think he would have a problem with it, but I don't think he would be the kind of guy to um, cause friction in the locker room. I think yeah. he would take the Eli Manning approach and basically says, I don't agree with this decision. I don't have to like this decision. But from now on, my job is to support Gardner. Mm-hmm. Nick is also smart enough to know the chances are he's going to get a chance to play. And, you know, he couldn't hurt getting hurt. It couldn't help getting hurt, yeah. but was 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 he pulled too? Was he pulled out of the lineup too quickly? Once he got healthy again, did they rush him back? I mean, one t- you know, if Nick is Foles, next time he talks, says, "Hey, do you wish you do you wish you would have stayed on IR and got totally healthy?" Because when he came back, you just he looked like a guy who hadn't played or practiced in three months, which was the truth. So when he, when Doug gets around to these coordinator interviews. That's a big part of the discussion. Not so much pick a guy, but also how does this guy fit? How does this guy fit? Yeah, and how does the other guy that doesn't get the job fit? <laughs> I mean, I think if you look at it, if, if Foles starts week one, Minshew's going to be the backup. And he's going to be say, hey, I got a lot of stuff on tape. He also is going to realize I wasn't great shakes when I got another shot last year too. So if you're Minshew, it's not the end. With Foles, if he loses the job, maybe he's – 
a backup for the rest of his time. Yeah, could be. Uh, one other thing outside of the Senior Bowl, they're going to get to the Senior Bowl, but uh, you guys have your eyes set on the Hall of Fame class coming up in a couple weeks too, right, with Atwater yeah. uh, possibly going in. Obviously, Tony, you know, Tony's a Jacksonville guy, but he's really a, a Boulder, Colorado yeah. guy, so he's from out in that area. Does that resonate at all uh, out your way? Um, it, it does a little bit because it's all, you know, there is, okay, if, if not a Bronco, then a local. And you know Tony's parents still live in Boulder, uh, so that that I've always made sure to mention him, and th- that would be a story because I'd be hard pressed to name a Hall of Famer that was raised in that area. Okay. But with Steve Atwater, he is the only player from the All 80s decade team not in the Hall of Fame. It's time for him to go in. Yep. John Lynch is a finalist. Troy Polamalu is a finalist. So there's a little bit of a glut there at safety. Yeah. See if you can slide two through this year. But um, I'd like I'd like to Leroy see Butler Stephen too. Leroy Butler. I'd like to see Atwater and Baselli get in. And I think this is a big year for Leroy Butler finally getting in that room. You know, a lot of t- guys don't go from top 35 into the Hall of Fame. But, you know, Butler's case will be heard now. So maybe you circle back next year. If you're Leroy, you want two of these safeties to get in this year. Yeah. Well, uh, and, Ryan, and I've been asking around, man. So if Butler does, in fact, get in one day and you see his bust, is he going to have the thickest turtleneck of all time for his bust? <laughs> yes or no? Well, the bad part about the Hall of Fame thing is it's, it's just a noggin. No, but for sure. But I feel like his neck can still get in there, man, with a little bit of that turtleneck kind of peeking through up well, to his chin. Maybe he can, maybe he can coerce the sculptor yeah, to do that. Absolutely. But, <laughs> I'm just saying. Put it up right close to the chin. Yes, sir. Uh, maybe make it happen. Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post with us. Good old friend from Jacksonville, of course. Covered the Jags for a while. Did a fantastic job. Recently won an award out in Denver, so congratulations uh, for your good work uh, for the Denver Post. All right, the Senior Bowl. We say Gardner Minshew was found here, and we've seen plenty of players over the years, whether it's Aaron Colvin and Brandon Linder and Telvin Smith and this year Josh Oliver and Raquel Armstead and Gardner Minshew, of course, for the Jags. It's where we were introduced. A guy I remember raving about, it wasn't just Daniel Jones. I thought Daniel Jones might be a thing. But the guy I remember that would do well in interviews here that stuck out to me was Drew Locke. And Denver ends up drafting Drew Locke. They waited quite a bit, but when they finally turned to him, did well. I think went three and one with the Broncos. Yeah, four and one. Four and one as a starter. And you know, just from this game last year, the Broncos found their future quarterback in Drew Locke and their plug-and-play left guard Dalton Reisner, both second-round picks. So that's why you know the Broncos have had a little bit of a philosophical change. They like drafting experienced players, specifically after the first round, instead of third-year sophomore. So this is a game that's important to them. Quarterback thing is interesting this week. Broncos don't need one. Jaguars are going to draft one, but you still pay attention. Herbert. Jordan Love from Utah State did not have a great statistical season playing in a new offense. How does he show up this week? You mentioned Justin Herbert from Oregon. Uh, Jalen Hurts is a you know Alabama flavor, so he'll be a popular player. But you know what? What I look at these practices, use some of the one-on-one stuff because combine. The underwear Olympics. Yeah. You know, these guys are wearing shoulder pads and helmets this week. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, look, we I think about some of the guys that we talked about last year. I was looking at the roster from last year. Like Andy and Isabella is a guy that Austin loved yeah. coming out of UMass and Absolutely. showed some things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he was hurt for half the season, but when he was in there, he showed he's, he's going to be a pretty promising kind of slot receiver type. You know, even for Jags fans, you know, Tyree Brady 
was a yeah. guy that was as, as an undrafted guy on the Jags roster in camp. Yeah. Showed some moments. Had, uh, he wore number 19, I believe, for the Jags. Had some moments. Yeah. He played in this game. Uh, Jonathan Abraham. Renfro, too, is another classic example Renfro. of a guy that we thought was selling insurance in the parking lot. <laughs> turned out to be a legit slot receiver for the Oakland Raiders, man. And, and he Oakland, had a fantastic season. And Oakland coached in this game last yeah. year, right? Correct. Well, they got Renfro and Jonathan Abram as well yeah. uh, out of Mississippi State, who looks like he's going to be a good player. He got hurt, yeah. so he didn't finish that year. But they might have found some solid pieces in this game. And, and one thing, Jaguars, I mean, they coached it twice in a row a couple years ago. Yeah. That first year was the Linder Colvin. Telvin. Telvin draft. The next year, they didn't draft anybody. Yeah. That's the other flip side, is you can cross guys out this week. And because I heard the second year the Jaguars coached, the guys were checking their phones at halftime of the game. There just wasn't the buy-in that they had from the previous year. So that's why that's why it's beneficial for these, these coaches and scouts to be here this week. You can start crossing guys off, or you can say, hey, I want to take a better look at him. Revisit him at the combine. Rustin just said yeah. it. Really, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you you, you just said it. he's like. We're on the same page. He came here in 2010. I mean, he showed up because of his hustle. He showed up on a Wednesday. He was a late ad. Yeah. And I just said to him, I was like, what do you mean? Guys don't hustle in this game? How could you not? You're in front of It's like a job interview. Yeah. But they see that stuff in practice when you get mentally exhausted, who's mentally tough, mm-hmm. all those things that maybe not all the coaches get a glimpse to see, but the ones that are in the room with them for a week do. Yeah, and, and what you'll see later in the week is some guys practice and then drop out of the game. Yeah. Well, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it, it's it, to me, if I'm a coach, that's a question I ask them in Indianapolis. Okay, you worked hard all week. You got the invitation. Why'd you bow out of the game? Mm-hmm. Because a couple years ago in this game, they ran out of bodies. Guys were having to play way too much. That's also how you get hurt. Yeah, true. Well, and that was my next question to you, Ryan, because I, I explained, obviously, the practices are important. But how much actually goes into the game? Because last year, Gardner Minshew goes one for eight in the Senior Bowl, okay? I think it was very telling from the standpoint that he was a captain. I think that says a lot that they elected him a captain. But from the game perspective, how much actually goes into the game? Like, how much are teams actually watching that game footage? Well, they'll watch it. Yeah. They're not staying in town for it. Because <laughs> <laughs> people, these team people dash out of here Thursday night. Because sure. I'll see a lot of them at the airport. But <laughs> it's how they practice and also... Do they learn quickly? Mm-hmm. And especially in this league now, you're seeing rookies having to play right away and having to learn offenses, having to learn two and three offenses in as many years. So I think that's what uh, you know teams are looking at. You know, what's what's their want to level? Especially from especially you got a couple of guys here from smaller schools. Gigantic opportunity. You know, other guys who maybe are playing at a new position. So versatility, how they pick up stuff, all key this week. Yeah, uh, Ryan O'Halloran with us from the Denver Post. Let's wrap up. Uh, we just saw a team in San Francisco. We were talking about this earlier in the show. They went from coaching in this game to coaching in the Super Bowl. That's an incredible feat. Uh, and you can do that in the NFL to a degree. A lot of times if you have the quarterback and you have the right fit in the coach, and, and you already had to have some parts, and that year would be very disappointing, and that's what it was in San Fran. They had some of these parts already in place, but obviously Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt uh, amidst other things. Where are the Broncos in that? We, we kind of talk all the time, where are the Jags in that? We have no idea where this thing is headed. It looks like an endless abyss all the time. Where are the Broncos? They feel that good about lock pretty much to kind of carry them now and build around him? Well, I think they feel good about him, and everything they should do this offseason is how does it impact the quarterback position. I disagree with them firing the offensive coordinator. He had he won games with three different quarterbacks this year. That was a little surprising. Yeah. So it's obviously a philosophical mismatch. They bring in Pat Shermer. 
I didn't hear negative or positive from the fans. I heard apathy. So let's see what Pat can do there. Mike Shula will probably be the quarterback's coach. But you'll look at it from the Broncos' perspective, AFC is being represented by the team they scored, the team they're chasing and scored one touchdown against. Yeah. San Francisco, they're coached by the guy they probably should have hired three years ago. Yeah. And uh, but they weren't comfortable with the Shanahan dynamic, my guess. So the if you're the Jaguars, you look at Tennessee making the AFC title game, Houston winning division. Tennessee scares me more than Houston because Bill O'Brien, more power is better for the Jaguars. Absolutely. And they're firing people every day. Yeah, yeah. If Tennessee can re-sign Derrick Henry, they'll hang on the Tannehill on a short-term deal, if not the tag. The division probably goes through Tennessee. There's no question in the AFC West it goes through Kansas City. Pat, Patrick Mahomes, 24 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, uh, by the way, is everybody in that Denver building? Is everybody in that LA Chargers building? Everybody in that Oakland building saying the same thing the way you just said it? Yeah. <laughs> Ron, we always talk about identity, right? And I think this year, at least from my perspective, the Broncos surprised people in their ability to pass the ball. I think it was a coming out party for Cortland Sutton. I think Noah Fant going forward is going to be the guy. Um, still have a pretty solid run game, but overall, I think they got it done more through the air and my question to you is you bring a defensive minded coach to coach the Broncos but let's be honest the the defense wasn't really the talk of the town now Chubb gets hurt I understand that but is there some concern that Fangio comes over and the defense might have been lacking a little bit yeah they're going to chalk it up it takes a year for to get his kind of guy sure you know you you know Bradley Chubb was their best player and he finished that Jaguar game with the tornado yeah yeah he wow. got hurt, yeah. came back. And they lost Wolf, too. Yeah, and then after the game, Bradley Chubb got into it, Chris Harris, <laughs> <laughs> saying, hey, I don't care if you guys have won a Super Bowl three years ago. This is a new team, so yeah. he's a leader. Um, jury's out on Vic. I mean, calling it offensive plays, I think, he, I think he should be more of a manager than a play caller, but they think he's one of the best play callers in the league, so that's what he's going to do. In terms of the identity, what they wanted to be was a run it, the play action, the set up the shot. Well, it didn't develop because they couldn't get a lead. And then when they did get a lead, Bears, Jaguars, Colts, Vikings, they couldn't hold on to it. You split those games, they probably get that last wild card spot. So, you know, they they feel confident like they took steps forward, but they still have a lot of holes just because at number 15 in this draft, they could go a lot of different directions, same in free agency. So, you know, the San Francisco thing, Senior Bowl, Super Bowl is a little bit of an anomaly. Yeah. You know, because they lost their quarterback. But you remember two years ago on Christmas Eve, we were one, a couple of the few Jacksonville media members in San Francisco <laughs> that day. Yep. The Jaguars had no answer for them. No. You know, they had no answer for the misdirection, for the fullback. Garoppolo is playing third or fourth game. So you could see it was there. They just had to be able to stop people. But what it shows is for the 49ers, if you hit on those top five picks, they're eventually going to come through and that's what they've done yeah and 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 by the way like shanahan's good i mean he's very good offensive minded one thing about fangio from the outside looking in you're very close to it i thought he did a nice job rescuing that thing that looked like it was about to be really bad in the first month five five weeks and then he he got it going a little bit at 0-4 losing the jaguars like they did up 17-6 i think and lose it at the buzzer that locker room was on fire after the game he made some lineup changes instead of beating their head against the wall. They go beat the Chargers the next week. So they you know, they won seven out of their last twelve after starting 0 and four. I think that adds up to sixteen. So yeah, I think he gets credit for that. But you know, people don't want me to bring up the name Gus Bradley, but I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> uh, this guy's 
going to be hard pressed to find a coaching job better than 2013 when they start 0 and 8, mm-hmm. and they yeah. go 4 and 4. Yeah, we know what that roster. So that's like. that was an expansion team mm-hmm. roster. So that's what first year coaches. How do you survive year one? And then this off season, you can put more of your footprint on the entire culture. All right, uh, let's end with. We got a couple more minutes. We're going to hang all the way to the top. So hang with us for like three more minutes. Uh, I want to do two exercises. I'm going to read you a couple more names. Uh, Will Greer, Carolina. He's not the guy going forward, though, right? He looked pretty bad. He played in this game. Uh, here's one we talked about on the ride up today. Remember last year, Tyree Jackson getting all the love? Kid from Buffalo, big guy. Monster. Whatever yeah. happened to him? I mean, he just... Uh, nothing, right? Didn't get drafted, and then nothing. Yeah, and um, I think when, when teams really dug into his tape... They just saw too much of a project. I mean, yeah. he was, maybe sort of, his throwing motion, he was sort of digging out of the turf and, you know, big guy. I think he ended up in Buffalo as an undrafted yep. free agent, didn't make it out of camp. I mean, he came out early. Um, that's, with that quarterback spot, you got to be wary that, you know, Justin Herbert stayed for his senior season, didn't look like it really impacted him, although he probably would have went first, second, or third last year. Now you got Morrow on the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Foster Moreau yep. uh, had some moments LSU. in Oakland, right, yeah, yep. out of LSU. I uh, mentioned Josh Oliver with the Jags. Debo Samuel was a guy that I loved just because his name was Debo, so well, I had to dive deeper. But, not a, but he, I mean, did you see him yesterday? Of course, man. A big impact player. Yeah. Uh Dontavious Russell, by the way, played in this game. Jags seventh yeah. round pick, so that's a fourth one I haven't been mentioning. Sure, uh, but he played in this game as well. Montez Sweat, interesting guy going forward. In the end, I feel like my point in this little exercise is we've been doing this for a while here at the Senior Bowl. I feel like the depth here, the talent here, is is better in the last few years than it was maybe when I covered it earlier on. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is, and that's a nod to Phil Savage. Yeah, and also Jim Nagy when Phil came in. First couple of times I covered this game is how many Alabama guys can get on the roster? Can <laughs> For sell, sure. Can we sell some tickets on Saturday? Yeah. You know, teams are t- teams told Phil when he took over, hey, get the best guys. You know, don't be stacking. You know, he didn't make the mistake of stacking his team with SEC guys, but what you're seeing is, hey, smaller college guys who have been recommended by teams to get a shot here, and you know, so the Power Five guys who. You know, just because you played at an SEC school, you still have a lot to prove this week. All right, one last one. We got to go in a, like a minute. Joe Burrow, I started the show with this, and we were talking about this on the way up. Joe Burrow got invited here, not coming here smartly. He didn't need to be here. But he doesn't need to be at anything, Ryan. Like, I don't know. Could he possibly just sit this thing? Like, why does he even need to go to the combine? Why does he even need to go to pro day, do his pro days? Does, does Joe Burrow need to actually do anything until April 23rd in Las Vegas and walk across the stage? Is that too simplistic? No, I think you're right. Um, if I was if I was Joe Burrow and advising him, I would not have played this week because you just got done. Without a doubt. At the combine, I'd throw only. Mm. I'd put on a show. Yeah, don't test or anything, yeah, but just throw. He's not going to run a great forty, even though he's a good athlete. You know, but I would definitely get out there and. Teams know you're throwing the guys you just met. They're not expecting 100, percent but they do want to see out. They, they want to see, see out they're competing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but at the same time, though, Ryan, I guess the argument that I would make is, what are you competing against? Because you can only go down at the combine. I feel like if you're gonna be the top overall pick, what's the point of throwing? I, I would throw because you are a lock. No, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Yeah, just to kind of show off. I, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. And and I think for him, it's sort of just. You know, since you're not here, 
I'd throw for a, I'd throw the combine, and then I'd go through the pro day. Sure. Just because it's very rare that somebody doesn't do that. Yeah. You know, it's in your home environment and with your receivers. But where I would where I would say with Burrow is, let's say ten teams want you to take pre-draft visits. I'm going to say, uh-uh. No yeah. thanks. Nobody outside the top five unless there's a trade. Exactly. You know, the Patriots remember two, year, two years ago brought in Mayfield because they're working on a deal yeah, yeah. to get up. They did it under secrecy. So if I'm Burrow. I have fun with this because as long as you stay the course, you are going to be the Bengals' number one guy. You just said it. Have fun with it instead of making it an exhaustive process. Start working on your pro career and being the guy in Cincinnati because you're likely going to be that guy. Remember, real quick, you remember Blake Bortles' combine year? There was a stretch there for a lot of years. None Nobody of the top threw. Guys threw. Yeah, he did. Blake went in there and says, I'm throwing. Did he throw great? No, but receivers after that was saying, hey, we just appreciated one of the top guys throwing to us. Yeah. He was trying to compete. That yeah. mattered a little Buzzword, man. Brent. Ah, That's a buzzword. Ah, ah. Hey, good to see you, man. All right, uh, Ryan O'Hallon from the Denver Post. We'll see you next week, too, at the Super Bowl and, of course, the next couple of days. For Austin Lane, Marcel Robinson, I'm Brent Morneau. That does it. Day one, Senior Bowl, Reese's Senior Bowl here in Mobile, Alabama. I'll see you on TV tonight coming up in less than an hour on Fox 30. Have a good one, everybody. If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com.